your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. the fans that we lost in 94 from the strike we were still trying to trickle those fans back and we had lost some of the purists what these guys were able to do it wasn't just in st louis it wasn't just in chicago these guys were traveling all over the country playing and selling out stadiums all over the country in my opinion that was what brought the fans back and what saved the game of baseball with Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack, I'm Brandon Kiley. That's Alex Ferrario. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers is out today. He will join us, though, because he had to be a guest on his own show. That's how things work here. Coming up at 1215 at 11.30, <laughs> we are going to be talking with former Cardinals broadcaster Bob Carpenter. But where I want to begin today, Dan, is with Long Gone Summer last yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't either. Uh, I, I was there. I was covering it. I was chasing down the fans that would catch the uh, the home runs because I was working at KMOX at that time. So I was not doing the games. 99 was my first season doing the play-by-play. I was doing a lot of the, the features mm-hmm. on Fox Midwest, and I was doing radio, too, like pre- talk shows and pregame stuff. And Jack and Mike would have me chase down those that would catch the ball. Remember, that was kind of the sidebar of how big the story was. Because if you caught 62 or if you got 65 or if you got 67, you had history in your hands. So I would be running down those people and trying to get it. And that was like a big story at that time. I don't know about you guys. I didn't really get a lot out of the documentary last night, to be honest with you. If you're a Cardinals fan through and through. I bet you walked away feeling like you enjoyed it. Absolutely. Um, because you basically just had two hours of nostalgia. You got to That's rewatch the summer of 98. And more specifically, you got to rewatch Mark McGuire in the summer of 98. If you're a Cubs fan today, I feel like you've got to be walking away from this thing feeling like you were sold a bag of goods because Sosa was on the documentary for all of like 10 minutes. I mean, this was a documentary of Mark McGuire's summer of 98 featuring Sammy Sosa more than it was the summer of 98. The interesting part about the documentary was that Sosa not one day led in the home run chase. I I, I had forgotten about that, Mm -hmm. so I, I thought that's why you could focus more on Big Mac and going into the season it was going to be the talk of McGuire for that summer because 97 was a huge year. 
year. Everybody going into 98 was talking about McGuire, and then he lived up to the billing. So I understand that, but then Sammy got hot, and then it became Sammy and Mac going back and forth, back and forth. But to your point... It was all about McGuire. And I, I, you know, I said on my show, if you woke up this morning, to me, the question was, as a Cubs fan, to advance the story, which is what we're supposed to do in the media, why hasn't he been back in Chicago? And if you're a Cubs fan, you looked at that and said, now, wait a minute. McGuire's been back to St. Louis. He's been a coach in St. Louis. He's won a ring as a coach with St. Louis. And, oh, by the way, he's in their Hall of Fame. And he's been on radio shows. And he's he's been embraced by the fan base. And he's admitted to steroids. And uh, bygones are bygones. It's like, okay, it's over. And, and still there's this big cloud kind of hanging over the relationship with Sosa and the organization. And I, to me, that's got to go away. He's a big part of their history. you got to welcome him back. At least that's my point of view. I, I'm done with the steroid era. I don't care. I think those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. I think you put it on their plaques and be done with it. Move on. It's over. I don't think it advanced the story. I agree with you. I think it was a timepiece. We basically got to watch two hours of Mark McGuire hitting home runs last yeah. night, which is fine. I'm here for that. I enjoyed it. I liked the documentary for what it was. I just don't think that it was what I was necessarily anticipating. And it goes back to something you said to me a few weeks ago, Dan, when this was first announced. You said, what are they going to tell me that I don't know? Because if they're, just, know. if they're just going to show McGuire hitting a bunch of home runs, I've seen that. You, I've you, talked you to McGuire 8,000 times about this. I did a whole, basically, documentary on, I think we called it the summer of 70 in 1999. I flew down to Jupiter to do a half-hour documentary on the summer of 70, okay? So we did it. I did that, and they could have played that last <laughs> night. It was the same thing, and he said the same stuff. Frankly, probably a little better. It, it was pretty good. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I, I wanted to get more into the steroid stuff. I I, I really did. I, I think that would have been more, I guess, juicy. I, I wanted to know what, what you did there. Pun intended. I, I didn't really mean it that way, but I, I wanted to know, to hear more from Bud Selig, to be quite frank. Um, I wanted to know what Major League Baseball knew at that time because there are reasons why baseball came back. And I think as we led into this documentary, everybody was saying, well, what's, for instance, what's going to bring baseball back now, right? Because so many people are frustrated with what's going on. What's that next thing that's going to bring baseball back? And if you look at that time frame, certainly Sosa McGuire was a big part of it. Cal Ripken was a big part of it. The Yankees dynasty was a big part of it. Ken Griffey Jr., no one talks about that, was a great player, was a big part of it. And I'll tell you another part that was a big part of it. Retro ballparks yeah. were exploding at that time. No one talks about that. And you the Braves, too. And Braves the Braves had one of the biggest TV deals in the country. PBS. They were one of the best teams. Yes, and they had a dynasty going. They only won once, but <clears throat> that was a big part of it. So, you know, those things were a part of it, and they, you don't have that now. So going back to the documentary, I, I agree with you. It's just kind of a highlight reel and a rehashing of what we've all seen, especially those here in St. Louis. And if you were outside of St. Louis, I think you kind of just went, eh, eh, okay. And I also think people were like, why are we glorifying some guys that were on steroids? I, I do. I, I Because if you look at the Lance Armstrong documentary, they didn't glorify him. I was him. honest. They went after him a little bit. And he went after himself. And the other writers went after 
the, the other cyclists went after the the era of what was going on with the Tour de France. They didn't do that this in, in this. This was more of a glorification of the summer, and and I think that was a problem with this. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. I want to hear from the listeners today as well. What did you think of Long Gone Summer last night? I will say they did one thing extremely well in the documentary, and I'm sure this was the case for years as well. They gave me, as someone who was very young at the time, I was five, six years old when the summer of 98 was taking place, a better understanding of how big that story was. Not just in St. Louis, not just in Chicago, but nationwide. It was the lead story in the country. And Dan, I love me some baseball. I don't know that baseball can be the lead story like that anymore. Maybe it can, but it's just a different, it is a different time in baseball today than it was back then. And that story was so much bigger than I think I gave it credit for at the time. BK, the 98 Major League Baseball regular season averaged 1.9 million viewers on ESPN. 21% more than any other season in ESPN history. When McGuire tied Roger Maris against the Cubs, that was September 7th of that year. The game on ESPN averaged 10.6 million viewers. The most viewed regular season Major League Baseball game in ESPN history. So that gives you an idea that it it had a massive impact on the sport. Um, And I agree with you. I I mean, I'm not sure that, for instance, if you took and you you were a young kid at that time, if if you went to young kids now and said, give me your top 10, let's say, athletes, it's going to be LeBron. It's going to be who else? Brady, Mahomes, Mahomes for Odell sure. Beckham will be on some of Odell those. Beckham. I mean, it's going to be football and basketball players. You're not going to have, and it should be Mike Trout should be in your top ten. Mike Trout is going to go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, baseball player ever. If you had normal seasons, when it's all said and done, because his numbers are that good, but yet no one of the young fans knows about him, and that is a problem right now with Major League Baseball. He's Danny Mack. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 11-12. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We got to cover it, Dan. Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball players, they missed the mark again over the weekend. And now it sounds like we're going to get an imposed baseball season from the commissioner's office. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I don't think there's going to be an agreement. There's no tr- uh, no trust whatsoever. Guys, when they have uh, been having these exchanges in recent weeks, they're not even talking. Like, it's the way that these, these uh, exchanges are happening is we get the leak from either side to the media, and then, it, you know, eventually the actual documentation, the actual offer is then forwarded to the other side. Right now, there are no Zoom calls. There are no phone calls. They're just firing off documents into into social media. That was Buster Only on ESPN earlier today with Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Dan filling in for Jamie Rivers today. Rivers will join us coming up at 1215 to give us his thoughts on Long Gone Summer. And it is the one-year anniversary 
of the Blues Parade. So we will take your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. What was that day like for you as a Blues fan? I want to certainly get Alex's perspective on that as somebody who was down there as well. So we'll get into all of that coming up today. But I want to talk about Major League Baseball's negotiations because, Dan, over the weekend, we got the latest proposal and rejection. And it sounds like this might be the last proposal and rejection from the owners or the players. Players basically said over the weekend to kind of sum up Tony Clark's statement, eh, we're done. Just tell us when to report and we'll be ready to go. We'll play the games that you want us to play and we'll get the full prorated salary for those games. What was your reaction over the weekend when you saw this, Dan? Well, I figured we're just going to get to this point and they're trying to wait each other out. You are going to have a deadline at some point because the deadline is the fall. So don't look at it from the beginning. The deadline is the end. Exactly, because of the coronavirus and they don't want to hit that second wave and it just looks like the owners are trying to push it back to that point to have the fewest games, the fewest amount of games that they have to pay for the pro rata and then all of a sudden you know, you're, you're going to play 48 to 52 games. I, I've been saying if you want to throw out the olive branch, it would be to play 72 and pay the full salaries of the pro rata. And then all of a sudden, when you do that, um, maybe defer 20 of the games over a two-year period. I, I guarantee well, I don't guarantee. I, nothing's guaranteed now. <laughs> but I, I would assume the players would accept that over, uh, let's say, a one- or a two-year period. And then Major League Baseball expands by a couple of teams, which they probably want to do anyway. That puts money in the owner's pockets. You can pay the salaries that way. And then all of a sudden, it's an olive branch looking ahead towards 2022. Because this thing sets up to be nasty going ahead into 2021 and once that season is done. I mean, it's just it's just such a bad look for the sport. Now, I, I've been saying it, and I don't know if you guys agree. I mean, even if they – we are going to have at least the semblance of some type of season – but who's to say we're even going to get this thing off because of the virus and trying to any of these sports, trying to get these things off? It's going to be extremely difficult anyway. And the only thing that fans may remember is that it got really ugly talking about the money and no one wants to hear that in this climate. Nobody. Well, and that's the part that, that one, it didn't shock me when it came out that this is what happened, because when you go back and you look at all of these proposals that have been coming from the owner side, it's been the same proposal. The players have said that you're just trying to sweeten the pot with the same deal. So it was going to get to this point. But to your point, Dan, every league, you know, we feel optimism from the NHL. We feel optimism from the NBA. But this is just the the, the first hurdle. We still yeah. haven't even gotten into the proposals from both sides of how are we going to do this medical side of this? How are we going to make sure the NHL has come out and said, look, we need to make sure we have testing. NBA has done the same thing. So you've accomplished a hurdle of saying by baseball, look, let's just play the season. We're done with this BS. But you haven't gotten to the BS that is the medical side of this and figuring all of that We've out. We've heard that it's going to cost millions of dollars for testing for the NBA to be able to put on their postseason because they're going to test their guys every single day. Right. Major League Baseball shortened the MLB draft to save like a million dollars, basically. Do we think they're going to be, oh, hunky-dory, yeah. let's go ahead. Let's just test these guys every day, be ready to do I- I don't know that they're going to be willing and able to do that at this point. So there's still a lot of hurdles that need to be cleared. To your point on the scheduling, Dan, I kind of backdated this a little bit. Let's say there's an October postseason. That means you're going to probably have a regular season in August and September. 
you need to be ready to go for spring training at the latest by mid-July. Yep, July 15th. We're in mid-June. Mm-hmm. We've got a month, and you need these guys by probably July 1 to be back in whatever cities they're going to be in. You've got two weeks to be done with all of this at this point. And that's with the mandated schedule that Major League Baseball puts out, much less anything that's going to be any longer than you, that. You're also talking about the money aspect of about $300 million to split it 30 ways. It's about $10 million per, and for some of these teams, they don't want to do that. And, uh, you know, if you're Miami, you're Tampa Bay, you're some of the lesser market teams, and, well, any of these teams, they don't want to do it, but... I, I just don't understand it. I mean, it, it's so short-sighted. I, I don't know if you guys heard Eduardo Perez talk about yeah. it with the KBO. He said, look, these guys understand they're taking a haircut, but they see how they're glow- growing the game trying to globally, and they think that they're getting fans on a global level because they're the only game in town, so to speak, and it's a big deal for them. The, the beating right now that MLB is taking is awful, man. I, I was at a place last night I talked about on my show where um, people now aren't asking me, you know, I mean, people know what I do, so they, they ask me, oh, man, when's baseball? Now it's not that. It's, it's what is going on with these yeah. people? Like, why are they doing this? the question I get. Can you believe baseball right now? Yeah. That's the question I'm getting from everybody. And I hate it because I love the game, and I made a living off this game, and it put me through school. I mean, I, <laughs> it's been a good thing for me and my family, and it's just been very, very difficult to, to see how it's it's gone about their business and I, I don't see an I do see an end in sight I don't see it being an amicable end in sight and I don't see it setting up very well for the next CBA now if they go dark guys for 18 months ugly I, I if you're out of out of sight out of mind for 18 months yeah God help the sport man it's worse than 94 95 at that point it's way worse because this is way different you know the, the thing is too when you have these leaks when nothing else is going on it makes major headlines so if you had these leaks and the NBA was in the NBA finals and the NHL's doing their thing and other sports are going on and golf and NASCAR and all this stuff and you had other things to distract you that's one thing we have nothing else going on so when these leaks hit these are major leaks they grab your attention as a sports fan. That is a big, big problem. Well, Tim Kirkshin, who is one of the most optimistic, positive people awesome. you'll ever come in contact with, basically said exactly that on ESPN over the weekend. I covered the 81 strike. That was so vicious. I covered the 94-95 strike, and that wasn't much better. But this one differentiates even from those two, given what's going on in the country right now. And to have this bickering over money is a really, really bad look for baseball, certainly at this time. This is as bad as it gets. Mm -hmm. And Tim Kirkchin wrote over the weekend as well for ESPN.com, quote, most of today's owners aren't in this for the love of the game, not like the family-run franchises in Milwaukee, Baltimore, or L.A. 40 or 50 years ago. These teams are merely commodities to the owners. The game isn't personal to them. It is certainly not intimate. Now, I don't know that that's the case for every owner. I think here in St. Louis we have a good one. But for a lot of these owners, it is just, it's a business. They run it as if it's a business. And so... So when you get in a situation like this, it should be the owners have to take a little bit of 
pardon the pun, ownership of the situation, and they become the stewards of the game. And you take a little bit of a hit now for what is the good of the game over the long-term future. The players have less incentive to do that because they're not going to be around for the long-term future of the game. The owners are. And so eventually I was hoping that they would realize that. They would look in the mirror and say, it's going to hurt, but we've got to do this for the good of the game. And they never got to that point. I asked somebody that is uh, very, very bright in this game about both sides. And I just said, you know, just size it up for me. You're, you're a very smart person. You understand both sides. And he put it very simply. He said, owners, he said, Dan, they're not used to losing money. He said, just, just think of it that way. In any walk of business that they've been in, they don't lose money ever. And I said, yeah, I, I get it. And he, he said, ever. He said, not, not in a pandemic, non-pandemic, any time of their lives, they don't lose money. They're not used to it. They don't do it. They're not going to do it. And I, you know, I, it just kind of made me think about it. You know, I, I get it, but you have to understand, though, where we're at. And to your point, being a steward of the game, I think when you go dark for 18 months, this is where it concerns me. Let's just say, for argument's sake, for argument's sake, that um, the NBA comes back and it goes off without a hitch. You know, you, you may have a few of the players pop, but they, they are healthy, okay? Yep. Let's say they have to go out of the bubble, then they come back in. Same thing with the NHL. It's not ideal. You don't have fans. It's kind of weird to watch, but yet they get through their season. And let's just say, for argument's sake, we come up with a vaccine and we have normal seasons next year. And all of a sudden, those sports then re- turn again for their regular seasons in December. So now not only do they wrap up a season, they come back in December. And oh, by the way, you have uh, the Triple Crown in horse racing. You have a NASCAR season. Oh, by the way, you have the Masters. You have a U.S. Open. You get through a college football season. You get through the NFL. And then you get to spring training with, on the horizon, a potential labor problem. What do you think fans are? What do you, what do you think a casual fans going to do? Do you think that they're thinking big picture like that? I don't know if they are. I don't think they are. If and that's were, what concerns me. How could you possibly still go over this ledge? How could you? But I'll, but let me ask you this though. Yeah. I'll, if they are going to play, there is going to be a season. Okay. So they're going to play. <clears throat> let's say <clears throat> forty eight games. Right. Worst case scenario, I do think we as a society have short memories. To where they come back and play, and you go, okay, it wasn't great. It was, I, you know, wasn't ideal, and they played, and then we come back next year, and it's spring training, and well, they're there, and it, we heard all about the labor stuff. We didn't like it, but yet we got through it, and they're still going to play. And then there's a lot of talk about the labor stuff, and then it gets settled, and they have a five year agreement, and the sport goes on. I mean, that's the other side of this that you can take that viewpoint to. The problem. They're going to be playing while hockey is playing its postseason, while the NBA is playing its postseason, and while the NFL is beginning its regular season. So do they then get overshadowed by games that are more meaningful for these other sports? And then the NFL, which we all know is king in this country right now. And does that even put the put Major League Baseball to the back burner once again? And that's that's not a good thing for them either. Well, I, you know what the, the the thing that's going to be kind of cool and it's going to gain some steam here before you know it. And I am not the biggest soccer fan at all, but that World Cup style.
style that they're going to start around, what is it, the first week of July or mm-hmm. whatever, MLS, because it's going to be a live sporting event in this country, will gain some fans because of it. They will. And I, I'll probably watch some of it because I just want to see what it's like. It's going to be on all day. That's right. They're it's going to start at 9, it's it's 9 a.m., 12, and then 3, and then 6. They're going to have sometimes four games going on all day. All day. Baseball and, could have been that. And the other thing that we haven't touched upon, by the way, this is the, the, the worst thing that happened, was that the MLB uh, Play Association came out, just uniformly rejected that deal, and then it got leaked that Turner had a, a, oh. a billion-dollar deal with the postseason with Major League Baseball, which means $150 more mil, uh, million dollars a year for each team. That came out on Saturday, too. I'm sure the owners didn't want that to, to hit press as it did on Saturday night. Ouch. That that did not come out with good timing for them either. Not great, Dan. No, not, not great. at all. Not Wait. at all. Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's catch up with former Cardinals broadcaster Bob Carpenter. He was on the play-by-play team. Uh, he was on the TV side of things in 98. What was it like to be there? And I want to get his thoughts on the documentary that we saw last night. We'll do that with Bob Carpenter, former Cardinals broadcaster, next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Is a distinct possibility that this is his last at bat of 1998. Take a good long look. This is going to have to last you until next March in Florida. First and third, two out. We continue celebrating long gone summer here on 101 ESPN with Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by former Cardinals broadcaster from 95 up to 2001, Bob Carpenter here on Ribs and BK. Bob, how are you doing today? Doing well, gentlemen. Good to be on with you. Absolutely. Good to have you today. So, first of all, have you, did you watch Long Gone Summer last night? And if so, what was your impression compared to what you were able to watch firsthand back in the 98 season? Well, I thought they did a good job of capturing the way that Mark and Sammy uh, sort of captured St. Louis and Chicago. You know, I, I know they had to delve into the Andrew and all the other stuff at the end and you know that's that's a part of I guess being journalistically sound with a uh, you know with a documentary like that. But I, I thought they did a good job on behalf of both cities. I was pleased that maybe the national audience got to know a little bit more about the Cardinal Cup rivalry than they did. You know, because people in New York, it's all about Yankees, Red Sox, and Yankees, Mets, and all that sort of thing. But um, you know, I, I thought they did a good job with it. I. Um, I, I was. It was really interesting. Some of the people they interviewed. I thought Tim Pernaris, you know, from the ground crew who came up with Homer number sixty-two, was a nice touch to the whole thing because, you know, uh, all the speculation was who's going to catch the ball, how much it's going to cost Mark McGuire or the Cardinals or somebody to get that ball back, and then a guy from the ground crew gets it uh, behind the left field wall down there by where the old batting cages were. So, uh, you know, I thought they did a good job. Bob, it's Dan McLaughlin. Good to hear your voice. How you doing? Hey, Danny. How you doing, buddy? Good. How big's your uh, World Series ring? <laughs> well, you know what? I don't have it yet. Um, I don't know if we're getting the one 
the ones the players are getting. Now, my only previous World Series ring is Cardinals 04 that says National League champions, not world champions, because obviously the Red Sox did a number on the cards in the uh, in the series. But that was the players' ring that we got back then. It's my understanding that the ring the players are getting in D.C., these things are like 50 to 60 grand or something like that. I, I just heard that. I don't think we're getting those. <laughs> uh, I, now, now, you've got more experience than I do. Uh, are the Cardinals still giving broadcasters the same rings the players get? Oh, yeah, because we did so much to earn those. <laughs> you know yeah, that, Bob. <laughs> Come on. Well, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I know that it may be en route because I got a message from the ball club last week asking, do you want it sent to your house? Is there a P.O. box where it might be more secure? So, uh, I, Dan, I guess it's on the way, and I'll awesome. know it when I see it. That's awesome. Um, I, I was intrigued by the documentary. We we both were around in, in 98 watching that. Um, I, I found it interesting, and I've been asked a lot about it, how Mark handled uh, 1998. He didn't want the attention, did he, Bob? I mean, he was more of a team guy, but I, I thought he knew what he was getting into in 98, and, and that's what I took away from it. He knew that 98, the focus was, was going to be on him, and I, I thought he handled it as well as he could i thought he i thought he absolutely did too you know and they made they made a great point about roger maris in new york roger said when he came to st louis in 67 and 68 it was the two happiest years of his big league career after everything he went to in new york because you know nobody wanted him to break babe ruth's record nobody they wanted mickey mantle to do it not roger maris and Mickey never was able to do that. So, you know, for Mark to go through it and handle it like he did, I mean, you know what it was like. We were on the road. They're sneaking him into hotels through the kitchen, taking him up to his room in the freight elevator. You know, fans are in the lobby. They're out on the sidewalk. It, it was, you know, I told people it was like traveling with Mick Jagger or Paul McCartney. It was just, you know, it was just absolutely crazy. So I think Mark did a great job of handling it. I think he had the right kind of personality to handle it because obviously a very competitive guy. I kind of loved it last night when you said there's no way I was going to let Sammy pass me, you know, once, once voltage for past 61, you know, a tribute to his uh, competitive nature. But, um, you know, I thought Mark did a great job of handling it. I remember a situation going into the last weekend of the season, you know, we were doing the games on channel 11 and uh, Bill Lannessy, who was uh, – uh, maybe it wasn't Bill at that time. It might have still been Max Lummis and Ted Toppler. They came to me, and they wanted Mark, because we were the rights holder, to do a sit-down interview. And Mark turned me down like three times. And then finally on the Thursday before the last weekend, I said, Mark, they're, they're telling me i got to ask you one more time. Okay? So I'm asking you. I'm covering my rear end here. He said, when's it going to air? I said, they told me it's going to air Sunday night after the last game of the season. He said, you you can promise me it will not air until the last game is over. I said, that's what they told me. He said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And we sat in the Camwex studio outside the Cardinal Clubhouse at Old Bush Stadium and did about a 20-minute sit-down interview. And he was absolutely fantastic. And Dan talked about a lot of the things that you brought up, what he had to go through. He talked about his dad, who had polio when he was a young man and couldn't play sports. 
and what it meant to be able to present this to his father. Uh, it was it was really neat, and that's probably as close as I came to a real inside moment with Mark spending those twenty minutes with him in that studio. Talking with former Cardinals broadcaster Bob Carpenter here on Ribs and BK on one hundred and one ESPN. Bob, one thing that struck me last night. I was very young at the time. I was five, six years old in '98 whenever this was all taking place, and so I, I didn't have a grasp of the gravity of what was taking place in baseball. But this was a story that wasn't just big in St. Louis or in Chicago. It was both nationwide and globally a massive storyline. Do you feel like baseball has the capability of having those kinds of stories today that it had in '98? Well, it depends. I mean, uh, if somebody gets up around, you know, 55 home runs, uh, you know, by the 1st of September, or if, if somebody's got a Don Drysdale, Bob Gibson, Oral Hershiser 50 or 60 inning scoreless streak going, you know, maybe those are the kind of things, or maybe a long hitting streak. I think Pete Rose made it to 44 games one time, indicating how tough it was, what Joe DiMaggio did with 56. I, I think baseball is interesting, and it's a really good question you bring up. Baseball is interesting in that respect, in that it's a team sport, and it's all about winning. Because I remember in 98, it bugged the heck out of me that the Cubs were going to the playoffs and the Cardinals weren't. <laughs> You know, but we had Big Mac and they had Sammy. But, you know, I'm, I'm usually all about the team thing. But baseball, because it is such a numbers game, and I thought Mike Bush said something interesting last night. He said, ask anybody who the all-time NFL receiver is. They might give you the name, but they don't know how many catches he had or how many yards, unless you're a diehard football fan. But everybody knows 714 for the babe. Everybody knows the numbers for Hank Aaron and Barry Bonds. You know, and uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a sport where the individual moment is there when that particular hitter steps into the box and faces that particular pitcher. Anything can happen because if you think about the size of the baseball and the size of the baseball field or the stadium, there's a million and a half different places that ball could go. So I think that's one of the really intriguing things about baseball and the numbers that come along with the game. Bob, I, I know how much you love this game. I love this game. You grew up as an usher at the ballpark. You, you called the game for a long, long time. You'll continue to do so. Uh, I, I'm concerned about the game right now and, and how much it's getting beat up. Um, how concerned are you right now? Yeah, I'm concerned. Uh, first of all, there's not going to be a season. And my second concern is if there, if there is a season, and we play like 48 or 50 games? I mean, what is that? <laughs> you know, we, we might as well put everybody in Orlando like, uh, you know, like soccer or NBA is and have a big tournament. I don't, I don't know. You know, uh, baseball is obviously a different game because soccer's over in two hours. Basketball's over in two and a half hours unless you have overtime. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a legitimate question, Dan. And um, it, it's... You know, there will always be the fans that stick with baseball no matter what. And I think a large percentage of St. Louis fans, you know, once the Cardinals are back on the field and they're playing for a week or two or a month or two, hey, forgive and forget. We grew up with this sport. We grew up with this team. You know, we love being at the ballpark, you know. We're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be Joe Cardinal fan or Mary Cardinal fan. That's fine. I, I think where it hurts is in some different areas around the country, and I think another place where it, where it hurts, uh, Dan, is with some of the younger fans. Absolutely. Because let's let's face it, 
kids don't have the same interests we had. When I grew up on South King Highway by Tower Grove Park, we played ball morning, noon, and night, and we only stopped when mom got mad and called us in for dinner. And, uh, you know, otherwise we're on the playground, we're across the street in the park. Kids don't do that anymore. They don't really play baseball unless they got uniforms on and it's organized. So I think we run a tremendous risk of losing even more young fans. Bob, thanks for all the rides back to the hotel, too. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just trying to keep you and Ricky Horton and Mike Claiborne off the streets of Washington, D.C. You know, it's interesting, Dan, you bring that up because it all started with Tommy Hutton and Rich Waltz of the Marlins back in 06. They weren't made to feel real welcome on the team bus by the then manager. Oh, okay. Uh, and and so they they said, hey. Can we get a ride back to the hotel? <laughs> and it just—that's it, where it kind of started. And uh, so it, I tell you what, Dan, I've had you guys, all the Cardinal guys in my car. I've had Jack Morris, Oral Hershiser, you know, uh, all these great Hall of Famers. It's been a—it's been a great thing over the years. And you know this, you and I and our buddies, we can have conversations in the car about baseball and the people involved in baseball that we cannot have anywhere else. <laughs> that's where the real stories are. <laughs> believe me. Thanks. And believe me, I, I, I've never recorded one of them. There's no hidden archives. <laughs> well, if you anybody did. Anybody needs to be concerned about anyone. Anyway. That's the ultimate blackmail. So I, hopefully you didn't. So thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> Although we did get in a car wreck one night. Remember when we oh, got yeah. rear-ended? <laughs> I do remember that. You, you I do remember that. You guys were in my that. car. My daughter was in the car. That was not a fun night. <laughs> I do remember that. Hey, Bob, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll, we'll catch up soon. And hopefully it's sooner than later. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. And, hey, maybe Cardinals-Nationals in the playoffs again. I love it, man. Thanks Fingers so much. Crossed. Fingers crossed. It's Bob Carpenter, right. former Cardinals broadcaster from 95 to 01, now the TV play-by-play announcer for the Washington Nationals. Dan, I want to ask you about something that I asked Bob about, which is the numbers. Do the numbers mean as much today as they did back in 98? We'll get into that on the other side. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax sign. We'll get some questions from you. Questions and answers is next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie is out today. Danny Mac is in with him and Alex Ferrario. I am Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. So, Dan, before the break, I asked you. Do you feel like the numbers still have the same pull today that they once did in baseball? Because as I was rewatching this last night, yeah, I was thinking to myself, question. if somebody hit 75 this year in baseball, or I guess obviously not this year, but next year in yeah. baseball, let's say, would it be the same national sensation that it was in 98 or when Bonds did it in 01? I think for me, the answer to that question is no. But what do you think about that? I agree. I also think, unfortunately, for the individual i would have questions about how they got there right or wrong i would sit there and i would say well how'd they do that you know that's that's an outlier because you know randy brought up a great point i i think he said something like 
eight of the guys that have gotten to 62 or more or whatever it was, or 60 home runs, six of the eight were in the time frame of the steroid era. You know what I mean? So it would make me think, like, well, what's going on here? Or the baseball now. We have yeah. to take into question, right? It's the baseball juiced. Or what's going on with the bat? What kind of bat are they using? Is the baseball woven a little bit tighter? What kind of things are they putting in their body? I, and that's unfortunate. You know, I don't like to think that. I'd also look at it this way. There are times I just kind of go, well, that's just where we're at in the sport. And I take it for what it is. And I embrace it. You know, there's two ways to look at it, too. I just kind of think, all right, that's fine. You know, Pete Alonso came through Bush Stadium last year. And he put one uh, almost on the backdrop of Bush Stadium. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was awesome. I mean, you, you sit there and you just kind of appreciate the guy. And you go, that was pretty impressive for a rookie to do that. And he sets a rookie home run record. And you just say, that guy's really good. But you were seeing home runs hit at a really high clip. And you said last year, how is this being done? And why is this being done? And unfortunately, especially with baseball, BK, as you know, it's a numbers game. And that's kind of the the beauty of the sport, too, because you can go back and look at Babe Ruth and... You know, Hank Aaron and Mark McGuire and Pete Alonzo, and it's a game that's based on the numbers, and 60 feet 6 inches has never changed, and those things are kind of cool about the sport. But yeah, that's also why we appreciate those numbers too, and why are they changing so much? It, it that's part of the the problem with the ups and downs of those numbers. I think they're two different things too. Like no matter what happens, it's always in the back of your mind, right? Like if something incredible like Pete Alonso season happens, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, it happened even with Pujols here. People were questioning it when he was hitting the ball like he was. But you also do differentiate, like Dan, like you mentioned, like it's in the back of your mind, but also appreciate the game and what's happening in front of you. But don't you think? It's unfair though to the individual. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, sucks. I don't like that. That I, and is I'm, the worst. And I'm mad at myself for doing that. I don't yeah. like that. Like sometimes I see a guy hit one a mile, and I I'm making the call right, and I sit there and I see he hits at 450 feet, literally. Yeah. And I'm like, I make the call. I appreciate the accomplishment, and I'm like. In the back of my mind, I'm like, how did he just do that? Right. And I shouldn't be doing that. I should just yeah. be appreciating the accomplishment. I don't like that. I think you said something else, though, that goes to why we... It's almost like we desensitize the home runs. Yes. Because now you just see them in every game. Yes. They're so frequent. Like, that's the way people are scoring in baseball now. There's not all these different styles that teams are playing. It's just you hit homers, and that's the way you score. And if you hit enough of them in any given game, that's how you win. And so it, it doesn't have that same effect of holy cow, Mark McGuire just hit a long one. Yeah. And that's what it was in 98. And so you can get around it and he was so much different than everybody else at that time. Yes. And so there's a little bit of excitement every time that he's able to uh, to hit one. Who was it last night that said, um, you're watching these games and there's a certain way that you, you watch the outfielder as a fly ball is hit. And you, in St. Louis, fans are trained. And during that summer, people People lost their minds, and anytime he would hit one that's in the air, they would start screaming because they were just it. excited about yes. the idea of a home run coming. It, it would be a routine fly ball, and half the stadium would get off their feet.
feet or get off their the sheets and get on their feet and go. <gasps> Oh, yeah, and you, you don't know. have that today because no. everything is a routine fly ball now. Right. I did find it interesting in watching the highlights. I would like to watch that documentary or go through the 70 home runs with a pitcher sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. I found where some of those pitches were. Those were cookies, man. <laughs> there was a they couple were... that were just curveballs right in his wheelhouse. Oh, my goodness. They were belt high saying, hit me. You know, I mean, and, and the other thing was nobody was backing these guys off the plate. Yeah. There was not a lot of guys throwing in on Mark mm-hmm. McGuire, Sammy. So, and I'm not saying that's, you know, it's part of the sport, whatever. I mean, it was how they were pitching them. But it would have been interesting to sit next to a pitcher watching that going, are you kidding me? Like, why are you throwing that ball right there? You know, <laughs> no, popping in, back him off the plate, you know. But, hey, that's the way it was. And he he punished the baseball. But, I, you know, in retrospect, it is funny. I mean, to, to what both you guys are saying. Having gone to Bush Stadium all my life, Bush Stadium too, even in batting practice, I was never seeing balls hit where he was hitting no. the ball. And we should have all been saying, now how is, what, what's going on here? Yeah. You know. But Paul, at the time, uh, it wasn't in your head. No. You it wasn't just, a big deal. You were just enjoying the moment. Yep, and yep. it was really fun to go to the ballpark and watch him do what he was doing. And now, in retrospect, you understand why sure. it was going on. But at the time, it was it was fun. It was yep. enjoyable. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. Got a time for a couple of these from the 618. Dan, in your opinion, who is the current player that could actually hit 70 home runs in a full season if it were to happen with one of the current players? Pete Alonso comes to mind, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be the one that comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that pitching isn't great and especially if you expand. You know, now pitching is going to be diluted even more. You're talking about those guys. It, it, it is interesting though, even from 20 years ago, how hard guys are throwing now as opposed to, like, the velocity is so yeah. is so harder now. I mean, a guy comes in now, and, and if he's throwing ninety four, you're like, this guy's not throwing that hard. You know, I mean, yeah, they're yeah. all throwing ninety seven to hundred, especially for prospects. Like, if a guy yeah. is somebody who throws ninety four, you're like, oh, is he gonna be able to make it? What, I mean, <laughs> did you see all the guys? I mean, I followed because I'm such a baseball geek. I'm like following the draft. I followed all five rounds, and every one of these guys is throwing ninety eight to hundred. Mm-hmm. And if you're not hitting ninety eight, you're like, eh. Okay, well, yeah, you know, it's 98 with sink, 98 and a great hammer with a curveball. You know, it's like, okay, now that's a prospect. Right. But if a guy's throwing 94, you're like, eh, okay, you know. Judge and Stanton, potentially, based well, the on guy the power that, that they have. would be my guy if he's healthy. That's Judge would be another one. And in that ballpark. Exactly. They've got a lot going for them with, first of all, their swings and the natural power that they have in the ballpark. There's give a lot me, of built-in advantages Give there. me a power hitter in Houston. A power hitter in Houston in that ballpark, a right-handed power, even a, even a left-handed hitter that knows how to use the opposite field, like a Jim Edmonds playing in that ballpark would punish the Crawford boxes. Do you want? He was so good at the opposite field. Do you want the trash can or no trash can in Houston? <laughs> well, if you mix in now the we trash got 80, can, 80s in yeah, play. I was gonna say we're we're going hundred if there's a trash can. <laughs> yeah, right? if you're going trash can with guys that knew how to hit a fastball at hundred miles an hour, then we're talking eighty. See? 80 to 85. With the trash can out with there. With the trash can. I I'm like here it. for it. I'm here for it. Let's <laughs> get the, the fans back in the stands, friends. Yeah. By the way, how about the irony of 
if a, you have a shortened season with no fans and Houston winds up winning this year. <laughs> I was thinking about that oh, last night. Oh, God, that would be a fun offseason. They're, they're not going to be able to use the uh, trash can yeah. this year. Alex, you're here B- everything. Could you imagine, Alex and BK, the nightmare for MLB is that the, you have no fans in the stands. I actually think it would be good for Major League Baseball. Oh, my goodness. Could you yeah, imagine that? Rod There's just, no chance they could cheat this year. You can't do it. You're going to hear everything in those stadiums. So yeah. at least then it would be right. like, well, we were able to do it clean. So right. maybe the trash can wasn't as big of a help as you guys all made it out to What be. would be worse for Houston is if an empty ballpark, they made it to the World Series and then just was swept. Just Well, they did win that one because of a trash can. So put that asterisk out there. Yeah. It's I mean, always going to have that no matter what. But yeah. I love it. That, that I, That's the one thing I am missing. Badly about this year because they were interleague play. Houston was supposed to go to New York, I believe, oh, yeah. to take on the Mets, and then they were going to take on the Yankees at the very oh. end of the year. It would have been beautiful. We were robbed. Beautiful. It's still going to happen because people aren't going to forget that. Right. And I do think, you know, Bob Carpenter brought up a great point and something I've been saying too. The, the fans have, again, short memories. They are going to come back. And there are the diehard fans, no matter what happens. There's going to be fans in the seats. And they're going to get booed. And people are still going to be upset about it. But, man, that would have been beautiful to see this year. All beautiful. year. All year long, it would have I'm been amazing. I'm telling you guys, in spring training, it was so... People were screaming at him the entire spring. It was awesome. It was awesome. Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's the one-year anniversary. The one-year anniversary of what will go down as one of the best celebrations, one of the best parties in the history of St. Louis. And we'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You know, when you win 11 in a row, you and after that 11 in a row, you lose, and then you keep playing, and you and you're you're still competitive and still winning. I really realized we had a good team, a real good team, and you know, like you get in the playoffs, you give yourself a chance. Um, so that's for me. That's when I realized, you know, during that 11 win win streak, and then after that, we were a real good hockey. That was Craig Berube on with us last week here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers out. Dan McLaughlin in today alongside him. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. One year ago today, one year ago to the dates was the Blues Parade down Market Street right here in St. Louis, Missouri. I am so jealous. So jealous of what Alex was able to experience that day, what so many of our listeners were able to experience that day. I'm, I grew up as a Royals fan in Kansas City. And so in 2015, I went to their parade in Kansas City. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. Why? It was awful. <laughs> there were, I think, five porta potties in the entire area. <laughs> <laughs> like total for the entire yeah, that's thousands a day. of people. Oh, it was miserable. It was hot as hell. There were no places where you I, could I'm get just, food oh, or hold drink. On, hold on. I'm just going to say, though, it, it would have been, I think, a worse experience if you're a female. Oh, God, 100%. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, you know, it's a little easier if you're a guy. Maybe if you got to, you know, do your thing, right? I you mean, depending on what you got to do. somewhere. Right. 
the I'm just saying. audio Screw system it. was yeah. horrible. Nobody could hear anything that was being said okay. on the stage at any given time. It was awful. Okay. The Blues was everything that the Royals was not. It was perfect. The the players were into it. The fans were that engaged the, the entire yeah. time. It was all of it. All of it was as perfect of a day as you could possibly ask for for a parade. And we got moments that most of these places don't ever get. You got Pat Maroon talking about being a hometown hero. You got the glory, glory uh, from Brett Hull. The entire day was absolutely perfect, Stan. And it's a day that if you're a Blues fan, you will remember for the rest of your life. Glory, glory, I love that. I think it's the greatest. But anyway, I, I spoke to uh, Al McKinnis. So when, when I was a, a St. Louis Blue, I developed a, a great relationship with him. I, I was doing the pregames and the postgames and the intermissions on, on radio and television. And I've become very good friends with Al now in, in his post-playing career and my post <laughs> Blues intermission career. <laughs> so um, uh, I talked to him extensively about it, and I said, man, that was just amazing. We, we were playing golf one day, and he said, Dan, he said, it's the most amazing, amazing um celebration I've ever seen and I said well, well why you know what was it what was it a, a, about it and he said we have set the standard for what all celebrations in sports will be like and I said really I said well why you know what, what do you mean he said it was because of the players yep. and I said well it, okay well why you know I'm always asking why people always get mad at me because I'm always inquisitive and asking why what you know that's just who I am and so he, he said because the players got off the trucks they got off the cars and they interacted with the fans they yep. went over had beers with the fans. They were taking pictures with kids. They were signing autographs. They were drinking from the cup. They were, uh, you know, having all this stuff that was interactive with the fans. He said, it is the new standard now of what you will see in sports, not just in hockey, but in basketball and hockey, uh, uh, baseball, all the sports. He said, you'll never, ever have a celebration that'll be any higher. And the standard has been set than what we did on that afternoon. He said, it's the most remarkable Remarkable celebration I've ever seen in my life. And that's coming from a guy that is pretty reserved, a Hall of Famer. One and of the had gr- a championship parade in Calgary. Had a championship in Calgary. And I, I can give you a story what it was like being with the Cardinals. Yeah, please. We, we, we were in New York, so we were going to um, to City Field. So we, we stay in Manhattan, essentially, and, and have to drive to on the bus to, to get to City Field. And that's, you know, in New York, you got a lot of traffic, so it's going to take you about 40, 45 minutes. And all the local news stations were carrying it um, uh, you know, on television. So all the, the Cardinal players and all of of us were watching it on either a Twitter feed or on the local news feeds. So all the players, we're all watching it and we're watching Holy and we're <laughs> laughing and having fun with that. But all the players, I got goosebumps thinking about it. You know, we're all watching it and we're just yeah. it, it was neat to see a players from other sports and whether you're a retired analyst like Jim Edmonds, who was with me on that trip, was watching it and who's a huge blues fan and a season ticket holder or myself or others. We were just like, oh, my goodness, this is the coolest thing ever. And Jimmy was like, God, we should have done that as yep. when we were celebrating, you know, and they had great celebrations. Theirs were phenomenal. I mean, they did a great job with theirs and going around Bush Stadium and going around downtown. And theirs was really cool, too, in, in 06 and 11. And I was a part of those. Um, but I'm telling you, man, it was 
it was second to none what they did. It was just unique in every single way. And to see those players watch and get their reaction to seeing how the Blues did it, it was really cool. Really cool. I have so many stories from this one, and I'll just give you a couple. You know, driving downtown to get set because we were broadcasting that parade on KMOX, and I had to get down there two hours before the parade started because they knew that the streets were going to be closed for us to get to the garage at our station. And as I'm driving downtown, a torrential downpour of rain and God bless those Blues fans, guys, because they were still standing out in the rain with their beers, no umbrellas, ready to party for that parade. And as we got set up, and, and that's just it, Dan, the players made that. And that's why you'll never see a parade like that again, because players getting off. You know, Sammy Blay was standing with fans as he handed them beer and had them pour it into his mouth. Joel Edmondson riding a <laughs> mini scooter, going back and forth. Robert Bortuzzo running to catch up with the parade. Um, you know, they had different guys starting the wave with fans. Petrangelo and Tarasenko putting the cup into fans' hands. It was the it was the epitome of a celebration, and it matched exactly what Brett Hull told us when they won the Western Conference Final. He said, this isn't going to be a parade or a party for a day. This is going to be a parade or a party for the rest of the offseason because that's how St. Louis is going to enjoy this and, and it was to this day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Also, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the free 101 ESPN app. We want to hear from you guys throughout the day. We'll work some of these into the show. What are your lasting memories from what it was like to be at that parade on that day or where were you watching that parade from? Let's hear from a couple here. Big Kelby tells his story of what it was like that parade. Getting up early, standing down there in the rain, just like I was in the rain at Bush Stadium to watch it. They really didn't care. But being down there with all the fans and the sea of blue and knowing that that was probably the greatest parade that anybody's ever going to see, it was just it was just awesome, man. So in spirit of the parade last year. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible to be able to see that. Ben Fredrickson of the Post-Dispatch wrote an article about being with uh, Alex Petrangelo. And uh, I, I think, and Alex, you maybe can correct me and, and BK too, but um, I think he had also had a special needs kid with him. That was who he took the cup to to have him hold it. It's one of the best articles I have ever read about the interaction of a player with a fan. And it just kind of summed up what it meant. You know, it means everybody had a story about what the championship means you know what i mean and the connection with the, t- the team and a, and a family member in the town and all that kind of stuff but man that 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 connection and that parade and what it meant to that kid and that family it was just absolutely awesome and this is phil on the rhino shield mic drop man that day of the parade was an amazing day um we got there pretty early and got as close to the stage as we were able to we were right on the fence like at the gate and it just started raining and raining, and people were leaving and moving. And, you know, we we stood there, <clears throat> and then later on, we hear that Brett Hull somehow disappeared. No one knew where he was, <laughs> and you look over on stage, and there he is singing Gloria. What a great day! Can I can I just say this though? This was my favorite part of the 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 stage. Not Hall, not Pat Maroon's. I'm a hometown hero. This was this was my favorite part. Does he look nervous to you? How is this feel? You want to see some emotion? That was my favorite moment from Jordan Bennington. It was him being real. 
That that was Bennington. He was finally kind of putting down the public face that he has. Because goaltenders, they do it for a reason. They don't want to give you an answer because they yep. don't want to show anything publicly. Yep. And finally, you get the moment where Jordan Bennington is just able to allow you to see him for who he yep. is. And he did so in the perfect possible also way. Also, when Larry Robinson flipped off the camera, it was great, <laughs> that too. That was awesome. Said, I have nine Stanley Cups, but this is the one that matters. And his middle <laughs> finger Stanley Cup ring. Oh, did he say something like, hey, Boston can enjoy this one for us or something. It was incredible. It was a neat, neat uh, yeah. celebration. One of the best ever. Yeah. We'll continue celebrating that throughout the day. Again, the Rhino Shield mic drop features where you get those on the 101 ESPN app or, of course, on the text line at 65780. It's twelve sixteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Jamie Rivers just couldn't stay away from us for that long. <laughs> I want to get his thoughts on the long gone summer doc we all saw last night and what was his experience like at the parade. We'll talk to our guy Jamie Rivers next on 101 ESPN. Glory, glory, We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. out, Danny Mack in. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. But we knew Jamie couldn't stay away from us for that long. The former Blues defenseman and superstar NHL player, Jamie Rivers, joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jamie, you had to be a guest on your own show again, didn't you? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, look, it's just like back in my playing days. If you let somebody get into the lineup and all of a sudden you lose your spot, you got to make sure that you're always around, just hanging around. Hey, Rivs, do you know who Wally Pip was? <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't really know who Wally Pip was. I do know the story, though, of Wally Pip, to where, like, somebody got in his spot and, like, never gave his spot back or yeah, something like that. Uh, that was Lou Gehrig. Okay, so, oh, so, so somebody got in the spot. I, I'm just—I mean, I'm not going to say I'm Lou Gehrig here, but you never know. Okay, I just just be careful. Okay, <laughs> that's why I'm in, that's why I'm calling into my own show. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking to Jamie Rivers, our buddy here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. All right, Jamie, uh, it is the one year anniversary of the Blue Stanley Cup parade. We were talking with Dan about that in the last segment. He brought up Hole going on the stage. Can you, for one more time, tell our listeners the story of what it was like to be next to Hole as he gets ready to go on stage? <laughs> well, the whole day was incredible. I mean, we started, uh, when they talk about having beer for breakfast, you know, they weren't kidding. And. You know, the parade was amazing, and then we all know the story of the guys that, you know, they got off the float, and they were riding around on bikes and scooters and hugging people, and so it took a little bit more time for the alumni and other people that were already down under the arch, and, you know, Holly and I were sitting there, and we're enjoying a couple of adult beverages, maybe a couple too many, um... And then Holly's just like, I'm bored. And what do you say to that, right? I'm like, okay, Holly, I'm like, what do you want to do? He's like, here, hold this. And I'm kidding you not, the hold my beer meme, that, like, I think Brett Hall invented that. Because he's like, here, hold this. Gives me his drink. uh, Grabs another one, by the way, on the way up onto the stage. And just grabs the mic. And goes with it. And we all know the rest. It was a work of art. And then finally, when they um, 
when they teased him and subdued him and got him to come off stage, uh, he walks by me and he goes, we went blues. He goes, let him figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> Just a beauty. So uh, is your hockey school uh, opened up today, your hockey uh, business? Yeah, uh, Synergy Hockey, uh, we're in our first week of operations now that uh, we're opening up after COVID-19. And uh, I tell you what, it's it's great to get back on the ice. It's great to get out there with the kids and, and doing these things. Now, it looks, you know, looks a little bit different than what you're used to seeing, but we're putting all the different protocols in place and making sure these kids have a safe spot to get on the ice and get back in shape. I'll tell you what. The parents are thrilled that these kids are out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, did you watch Long Gone Summer last night, man? I sure did. I mean, I wouldn't miss it. What'd you think? You know what? I'm kind of torn on it. I thought that, look, I liked it, okay? Like, as far as entertainment for value that way, I thought it was great. I mean, who doesn't want to watch a Mark McGuire highlight tape and at the same time, recognize and know almost everybody that's in the film. Like, it's a lot of fun to see that. I do think it kind of fell short with some of the storylines that were going on during that. I think that they glossed over probably too much when it came to, you know, behind the scenes that year. They did talk about the media demands and and him and Sosa, you know, being so friendly to each other. But I was hoping they'd dive a little deeper into the psyche of it and have McGuire really talk about the ins and outs every day and then maybe a few more teammates describe what it was like i mean we talked to everybody last week on the show and they're like oh it was like being one of the beatles and it was this it was that and maybe dive into some stories of some craziness that way uh, and then an opening at the end i i know they addressed it a little bit as far as the spirit controversy goes but i really don't feel like they dug very deep I I feel like they were like, yeah, yeah, and there were steroids involved in, okay, roll credits. And I thought, (laughs) you know what, maybe he'd kind of gotten a little more into detail. I know it started back with the A's and him and Canseco. Like, let's go over, let's go over the history of it, because quite honestly, the history of that is almost equal to the history of the home runs. Did you find any parallels in watching that to playing with Wayne Gretzky in terms of, you know, two of the greatest superstars in their sport? I'm just curious if, if you found any parallels with those two. Yeah, you know, look, Wayne is uh, hes a lot like Mark McGuire in the, in the way he handles himself. Very quiet guy. Uh, doesn't really like the spotlight. He, he certainly enjoys, you know, celebrating his teammates and, and being one of the guys. So that rang, you know, very true to me. And then, obviously, the circus that surrounds things. I mean, Danny, you remember, like, we'd go on the road, and there would be, you know, 100 people lined up outside the hotel at, like, 345 in the morning with minus 40 in Edmonton, Alberta. And it's just, (laughs) you know, it was just craziness. Wayne had a security guy to travel with him, and we know he traveled and... uh, with, as an alias on the road and you couldn't go to dinner if you're Wayne Gretzky and you know I saw a lot of parallels to that both with the individual and then certainly the, the gong show that went along with it Jamie when you look back at the long gone summer documentary what's going to be your lasting memory of both last week and the interviews that we had and then the documentary itself what's going to be your lasting memory of all of that 
you know, for me, it's just uh, no matter what the case is, no matter what was going on and performance enhancing or not, I still think that the amount of pressure that was on Mark McGuire that year, uh, it's really incredible that he was able to accomplish that feat. And you know what? We, he talked about how tired he was at the end and, you know, how he had to push through. I think that's probably the one thing that the mental side of it is probably just as hard, if not harder sometimes, than the physical side. And I think that's a human being who was just drained dry right to the last drop. And for him to do exactly what he did, that left an impression on him. I'm curious, Jamie, with all these kids coming back to, to work out um, and get on the ice, and I mean this as a sincere question, are, are any of these kids in shape? I mean, did anybody stay in shape during the, the quarantine? Well, you know, the younger kids, they're like the Energizer Bunny, right? Like they right. just go up and they're go, 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 go. And some of the older kids, yeah, they're looking a little little redder in the face than usual, a little sluggish. But overall, everybody so far has been real good. And like I said, Danny, everybody's just really, really excited to get back to doing something they love. And, you know, getting back inside the ring, putting on the skates, snapping the puck around, scoring a couple of goals. Like, it just feels right, man. Well, stay safe out there, Jamie. Enjoy your day off. That's still kind of work, so enjoy that for what it's <laughs> worth, and we'll uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. How's that sound, bud? All right, boys. I appreciate it. Danny Mac, thanks for stepping in, brother. You got oh, it, Wally. By the way, I did get a text here. This comes from the 314, Jamie. You should ask your guest, Jamie, if his father was Scoop mm. Rivers. He was apparently an equipment <laughs> manager with the Rockford Ice Hogs. Any, any insight into that? <laughs> No, I think that's just somebody getting back at me for last week. <laughs> too soon, BK, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Jamie, we'll talk to you tomorrow, buddy. Yeah, I'm the best, BK. I was going to say, no, the best. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I know, I was waiting for it. <laughs> You're the best, friends. Talk to you tomorrow, man. All right, see you, boys. Good to visit with you, Wally Pip. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Jamie Rivers here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Dan, do you know this this uh, the story? No, of... I, I saw that text. What what is this all about? So last week we were talking to Darren Oliver, okay, uh, former Cardinals reliever, yeah. good guy, and a very good guy. We enjoyed having him on. He was great. Told some good stories. Well, towards the end of the interview, Jamie looks down on the text line, and somebody had asked, "Hey, is his dad?" scoop Oliver and so Jamie just went with it because you know that's how we do things here we don't fact check sure. anything and we just go for it right so he just asked hey Darren you know is, is your dad scoop Oliver and Darren's like no uh my dad my dad wasn't scoop Oliver and so I then am like, oh, God, who's his dad, right? So we go into it, and I look up his wiki, and I find out who his dad is. It's Bob Oliver, who was a former major league exactly. player, uh, who passed away two months prior to oh. us asking that question. Yeah, I knew his dad was a major league. I did not know that he had just passed away. Yeah, neither did Jamie. <laughs> and so Text line had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, not Ooh. great. Um, and so that is where that came from. Well, and Dan, do you know the backstory? about the you're the best that Jamie Rivers asked Brandon Kylie about. No. So Brandon... And we, I listen to you guys a lot, too. We have found well, Brandon's, I guess you would call a it crutch a word. crutch yep. in an interview, end the interview by telling the guest that he's the best. Well, he says that to me a lot, and I just thought that was really nice of him. Well, to say that's, 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 that's my hope. Not, that's to, thank you. <laughs> not to lower your confidence, Dan, but it, it, BK says it to an awful lot of people. Take a listen. 
you're the best. That's Mark Saxon joining us here on Ribs and BK. JR, you're the best man. Curbs, you're the best man. We appreciate the time today. Dan, you're the best man. We'll see you tomorrow morning. There you go. You're the best. You're the best. So that happened last week. Okay. So we've got that going for us. Well, you know, if you're going to have a crutch and not saying, hey, get the hell out of here. And <laughs> you were a terrible. jerk. And you, were, you just ruined 15 minutes of radio. I mean, I, I, I'm okay with see, that. I, it could be a heck of a lot worse. You make me feel good when you say that. So I'm okay with it. See, now Alex has just ruined it for me because every time that you come on now, I've got to find a new way to say that you're no, you the best. No, you don't. No, you're the best. I like that. You blame me. Actually, Rivers ruined it for you. I just play the audio. So. I think Ryder's the one that ruined for ruined yeah. it for all of us. Because I do the I do the crutch as well, but mine's not you're the best. Mine is, hey, thank you so much for coming on with us. Yeah. I always say thank you so much. Somebody from the 314 says, I need to start saying thanks for being on the show. I would like you to know that I am actually the best. <laughs> That's my <laughs> new closing. People don't understand, though, when you do interview somebody, you, you, you do kind of fall into patterns of what you do. Um, and it's it's. You know, you got to think of different ways to end it. I mean, you can't just, it's not a normal conversation of just going, all right, see you, man. Yeah. Because that sounds bad if you're on the right. All right, see you. Well, then that sounds really kind of curt and not very polite. So you're doing talk radio. You're, you, you're hey, playing it up a little bit. Hey, thanks for being with us. I want to make the guests feel good so we appreciate back. your time. Absolutely. Thanks. You're the best. They're a guest in your home, basically, exactly. right? And you want to make them feel welcome at all times, and you would like for them to want to come back to your home where BK, you can enjoy the time with them. I've got no problem with how you're doing this. Thank you. Hey, Dan. I just found out that Jamie Rivers' dad is Philip Rivers. You're I the best. had no idea. <laughs> how about that? He's had <laughs> a hell of a career. He's one of the 14 kids that Philip has. <laughs> they would have never guessed that. How many does Philip have? I thought I think he it's has 11. Yeah, 11. Could be wrong. Wow. That's why he 11. picked Indy. The stadium mm-hmm. was big enough for all of his kids to come in. He is now going to be a high school football coach down in Alabama when so his career is he, over. He's officially retired or no? no he's, he's, he's going to last year. That's right. He signed a contract with an Alabama high school to be their next football coach whenever he. Head coach. He retires, yeah. Free tuition for his 11 kids. He doesn't need a free tuition. <laughs> I wouldn't think. Very true. I would so think he's, he's got 11 right, kids. 11 kids. He stayed wow. busy. He stayed busy. I mean, I'm busy. not going to sit there and, and, you know, begrudge a guy for having no. 11 kids. God bless him. But I wouldn't do that. No, I, I, I certainly wouldn't either. Four and feels I, like 11, doesn't it? It feels like 20. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> and 20 feels like 40. <laughs> I, mean, I got Cardinal. four. It's a lot, man. <laughs> I've got zero and I've got one dog and that's enough for me. I got right two now. dogs. That's just I enough. have three dogs and a cat. Oh, my God. So you Stand have seven four kids. kids. Got a petting zoo at yeah. your house right now. Yes, we do. The McLaughlin Zoo. It's, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> I mean, it's absolute just mayhem. It he's, is. He's Danny Mack. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Football has an issue with multiple players testing positive for COVID, and the MLB owners just finished their conference call. We'll update you with all of the latest next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers out today. He will be back in tomorrow. If you missed our conversation with him, it'll be on the podcast page 101ESPN.com. So there is some news coming out of both baseball and the NFL right now, Dan, from Bob Nightingale. Major yes, League Baseball just had a conference call with owners. It has now ended. The two sides still have to negotiate safety and health protocols before determination is made on the length of the season. We've still got a ways to go here. I've been saying, I mean, you've heard me say that from day one. I I could see a scenario and 
boy, I, I hope I'm wrong, but where, you know, you, you, you hear so much about the economics going back and forth. But, you know, you brought up the point the other day where, what was it, five of the 28 cities had been contacted about the CDC guidelines of, of, of getting through the 67-page report of what had been presented to the players of trying to make this happen from the health side, not, not the economic side, just the health side of the players. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to make this happen. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's not as difficult as it seems. But to me, having read the reports of and at least some of the issues that face sports coming back of how they test players, what happens with a player that tests positive, who's uh, inside the, the quote unquote bubble in all these sports, NBA, NHL, the pseudo bubble for Major League Baseball. I don't know about you guys, but man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough to make this thing happen just to get sports off just off and running and once it's off and running then you know saying okay player test positive get them out okay well who is he exposed to okay get those people out let's make sure they're quarantined okay now we're we're going to bring this guy off the taxi squad make them happy i mean wow well how are you very hard how are you going to do anything different than what started all of this of one player in basketball had it and then Everything shut down immediately after. That's where the testing comes in, or at least that's what they hope, right? right. Is that you're able to ignite, you're able to find it quick enough that they weren't exposed to all these different players, and then you're able to test those players quickly enough that you only have to quarantine them maybe for a day instead of for two weeks. Did you guys see the the NBA report over the weekend? I don't yeah. know if you yeah. saw this. So the NBA informed teams it was a memo Saturday. Coronavirus testing for players and staff taking part in the league's restart begins June 23rd. So that's right around the corner. Uh, it takes place every other day. The memo it was obtained by ESPN uh, it says players and essential team staff. So that's any coaches, trainers, medical personnel working with players directly or will be part of the travel party to Orlando administered both COVID test and antibody test on June 23rd. Each person will then be administered another COVID test every other day, as well as the two days directly before the team leaves for Walt Disney World. All teams are currently scheduled to arrive between July 7th and July 9th. Now, here's here's another question for both you guys, too. So um, let's say uh, you have a coach or third base coach or an assistant coach that's 62 years old. I mean, it really hasn't been talked about all that much. I know it's been mentioned, but is he going to be part of this party? Or so are we bringing him in? the NBA has actually talked about this quite a bit, and they had some... I mean, I've heard some of it, but I mean, are we, do we have a steadfast rule on what's going to happen? So what they were going to do was they were going to say the coaches that are over the age of like 60, there's a barometer that they were going to have. Those guys have to coach from like a booth instead of being able to be on the sidelines. Yeah. And then those coaches came back to the NBA and were like, this is a huge disadvantage for us. We don't want to be up there. We would rather be down with our teams. And I do think there's something to this of if they're going to be able to be in this bubble with the teams and they can go into the locker room and coach their guys and they can be right next to them at any given time, what's the difference between that and coaching them on the floor? You know, there, there's going to be risk here for everybody involved. That's the key. And we have to acknowledge that risk and understand it and be okay with it going in. And maybe that sounds a little crass, but if you're not okay with it, don't go um, because there's going to be a risk no matter what you decide to do. One thing that I have been frustrated with on this respect for Major League baseball dan is the hell have you been doing behind the scenes for the last three months question it's been too long you 
I understand there's the economic side of things, and that's been a negotiation with the players. But if you're Major League Baseball, why didn't you at the same time as having those negotiations have somebody in charge, whether it be your doctors or business side people, I don't care who it is, somebody behind the scenes talking with all of the local uh, cities, the local areas where you're going to be playing, and get this part hammered out so even if it did come to the 48-game season, you've at least got this done and you can just immediately go through with it. My understanding is that they have, but it's been a situation that's been continuously fluid. So things so things have changed constantly. So while you may say that, uh, let's say, June 25th, okay, you're good in City X, but then it starts to pop a little bit, now it changes. So my understanding is that that has been done, but it's been fluid. So, gotcha. uh, again, and I, I think that's been the situation for all these sports to where Major League Baseball is different because you're trying to go into the, the home cities. Right. And things change constantly where if you're going to a bubble, you know, Orlando is a different situation. You're in one spot. That's it. That is the spot. Hockey, you got two, what, two hub cities? Two hub cities, out? cities right. Yeah. So that's, you're concentrated on two spots where in baseball, I, that's where I think this is going to be more difficult for them. And I, I don't necessarily agree with how they're doing it. And, and maybe they're, well, let, let me put it to you this way. I, I think the reason that they did it is because they wanted to go into home ballparks for the television aspects of it, for the signage for the television aspect of it to where they could get more of the the TV parts of it for signage, Mm -hmm. advertising, make more money. I get it. But I don't think it made sense from trying to, from the health aspect to make it more of a concentrated aspect of being more safe, maybe. I, I don't know. I... Again, it's okay to say I don't know because I don't know. Yep. But it, it from the surface, it seemed to make more sense to say, why aren't we staying in, let's say, Texas and Florida and figuring out what teams could go or there? and the spring training sites, yeah. right? Well, the, 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 the one thing I thought about with Arizona is that you're, you're going to be in the summer months. And if you played in Arizona, your, your day games are going to be limited at sure. best. Now, you, you, would been able, you would have been able to play at the Diamondback Stadium because you could close the roof and play day games there. Um, but you would not have been, been able to play in open-air stadiums because it had been 116 degrees. But you would have been able to play in other places. I, I just don't understand... Why you wouldn't have done that? Because you would have been more of in a concentrated area. Uh, there's reasoning for all this stuff, but I, I just think it's going to be very tough for Major League Baseball to pull this thing off. Well, remember the biggest difference that Dan kind of alluded to there is, you know, basketball and hockey have the luxury also of hub cities, but playoffs. So when a team's eliminated, yeah, you're dropping right. 30 people off. You're dropping however many basketballs traveling. You're playing at least 50 games of regular season where every team is going to be there nonstop. Yeah, they say that about half of the teams in hockey's postseason will be gone in after 30 the days. first 30 days. So right. that, that's a big part of that. The other thing to um, note here, from Ian Rappaport, several Cowboys players and several Texans players have reportedly tested positive for COVID-19 Recently, none of the players are believed to have been in their team facilities thus far, but the teams followed the proper health protocols anyway. So uh, this is going to be something that we're going to see more and more Non-stop. as the coming weeks yep. arrive. You're going to start hearing, as you mentioned, basketball players are about to start get te- getting tested. Some of them are going to test positive. It's yep. going to happen. Just if you look at the numbers in our country, there's going to be
maybe some guys that are going to have it didn't know that they had it. And now we're seeing it in the NFL. Apparently, Ezekiel Elliott was one of these players, and he just posted on Twitter. God, I love what that about tweet. HIPAA? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that his name should have gotten out, but it's neither here nor there. We know this is coming, and don't get too pessimistic every time that you see it. Because this is just the reality of what yeah. we're dealing with right now. And we have to get comfortable with the fact that this is going to be what arises if we're going to have sports back. Because just like it is, wherever your place of work is, if somebody ends up testing positive, that's what these people are going to have to deal what with. What do you think, uh, in your opinion, for all these sports, Alex, I know you love hockey. You follow it nonstop. You follow all the sports. Obviously, I'm involved intimately with baseball. At what point do you think that uh, some of the guys, and I I just call it generational-type money, that they say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I'm not doing it. If I can't have my family there or I'm asked to be quarantined for four months, um, I'm good. I'm I'm staying out the four months, and hopefully there's a vaccine. I'm back at it next year, especially the older players that have made the generational money. Yeah, I think we're going to start hearing more and more as we get closer to what you were saying earlier, yeah. what would be the deadline of, okay, it's either do or don't. You either show mm-hmm. up and do it or you don't. I, I think we're going to start hearing more of these guys say no. I think at least in hockey, from what I've heard and talked to some people, you're hearing it already. It's not outspoken because... NHL's trying to keep the conversations to NHL and NHLPA to not make this a media frenzy, but I think there's certain players out there that are older that have family who are uh, at risk that are saying it's really not worth it. Yeah, And you're seeing in basketball, different than the coronavirus, basketball players are saying it's not worth, this, worth it because of the racial injustice that's going on right now, which is a completely different topic, but I think you're already hearing players say that it's just not worth it, and then that's the conversation of the negotiation back and forth, and you're just not going to get that approval until you hit that point where we just can't play a season. I think in the end, Dan, and maybe I'm wrong here. I'm, I'm, I don't know, obviously, as you just said. It's okay to say you don't know sometimes, and I don't know here. But I think more more often than not, most of these guys are going to say, "It's I'm, this is what I do. Yeah, This is what I do. I'm going to go play. Um, and I think also a lot of them realize how much money is on the line. Not for this year. It's not just about the 2020 season, right? But it's for the future as yeah. well. If you look at what the NBA is doing, I was listening to Brian Windhorst this morning. I think you played this cut on your show yeah. as well. It's like $350 million yeah. that they're getting by playing the the remainder of like the eight games in the regular season and then the postseason. If you have a guy like, for instance, LeBron James not show up, and he's going to. He's said he's, he's playing. To me, he dictates this. Yeah, 100%. The leaders dictate. And if he's going to play, you're good. But if he didn't play, think about how much money the league would potentially lose based on the ratings that they would miss out on because LeBron James isn't out there playing in the postseason. It'd be massive. I think it's, what, 65% of Major League Baseball players make under a million dollars. So you're going to have a good chunk of those guys saying, if not all, I'm I'm playing because I I need to stay sharp and go play. And it's beyond, to your point, this year. I need to get my bite at the apple next year, and I want my year of service time. That's very important. You know, the the Mike Trouts of the world, the Wainwrights, the Molinas, I'm just throwing them out. Those are the type of players. I'm not saying those are the guys. Um, But those guys that have made that kind of money, been around forever, I I don't know. It's a curious Example of, you know, some of these players are saying, you know, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And also to the point of if you're in the NBA and the NHL, you've already made 85, 88 percent of your salary where baseball, you're at zero. 
You yeah. know, and that's that's apples and oranges when you compare the two. And that's where this becomes very difficult. Also, the college part is very interesting, yeah. too, because University of Houston had five guys test positive over the, over the weekend. They had uh, players report. They just shut the whole thing down. We had Alabama last week. Five players tested positive. Fifty guys got quarantined. You're going to start seeing that pop Ohio all over State the place. is now putting together like some sort of it's like an agreement that the players have to sign to basically take away all of the liability from the school. It's a lot of questions that are going to be coming into play with college football, to say the least. Th- those guys, man, you know, they're not getting paid, and this is what they do. They, they're, they're, that is such an interesting dynamic of this whole thing, too. I mean, this is their chance out for some of those guys. I mean, they're going to say, hell yeah, I'm playing. I don't care. This is my chance out. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to play. I mean, you, you, you think I'm not going to play? I'm playing. Of course they're going to play. That's Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll dive into the junk drawer next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on a 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers will be back tomorrow. Let's dive into the junk drawer where I've got a story for you guys that I think I'd be willing to buy into. <laughs> Apparently, you can rent a private island right now for just $200 a night. Now, you got to have 19 friends that come with you. It's about 200 bucks a piece, so $4,000 for the 20 of you. But if you, if I told you right now, for 4000 bucks, you could go to a private island off of the coast of Belize. It's about a 15-minute boat ride off the coast of Belize. It comes with a private chef for you. It's got everything you need out there. It's got a place to stay, a nice pool. You are. I'll show you this picture right here, Danny Mac. It is a oh, yeah. beautiful That's island. Nice. Yeah. Is that something I could interest you guys Absolutely. in? Absolutely. Hell yeah. $200? Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't tell you how much the plane ride's going to cost to get down there. I would no, imagine no, it's on. a little bit pricey. So the $200 a night gives me my room mm-hmm. and my food. Yep. I just have to get there. You just got to get there. I'll find a way Just got to get off the coast of Belize. Yeah, and this I'm there. place is gorgeous. I mean, this this is unbelievable. My issue is I wonder if I could find 19 people who I'd be willing to spend on no, an island No, you with. wouldn't. That's I don't think part. so. No. I mean, maybe maybe 10 I could find 10. But it's got to be a big enough island to where, like, hey, if I need some time away, I'm not going to run into you, right? Now, that would have been kind of fun, though, if you were doing that and you were in the middle of quarantine. Like, so maybe, like, you were at the beginning of quarantine and it hit. And you're like, well, I can't travel, so... I got to stay. Absolutely. It, you know, the other thing is 200 bucks a night. So it gets a little pricey if you're staying for like more than an extended weekend. Yeah. But I think you could do like you get down there on Friday, say the night Friday and Saturday and you're going into Sunday. I could do that. And if it started at the beginning of COVID-19, you'd have to negotiate a little bit because sure. no one's going to come down there anyway. So you just got to you got to you got to wrangle a little bit maybe here. 150. Yeah. I go down to maybe 100 and say, look, I'll, I'll stay for a month. Yeah. Uh, I got a hundred a night. What do you say? Dan's like, this sounds good. Can you give me a number? Because <laughs> I'm in. If if you can do this, I am in. 
I am in if you can do this. What's your go-to in terms of your vacation? Like, if you could just go anywhere, are you like a city guy? Or are you going out into a hiking trip? Or are you going on the beach? What's the beach. DM McLaughlin? Beach. Beach and golf. Oh, that yeah. Give me beach and golf, man. Spring training is yes. just like that. Is, yes. That is your time to Baseball, thrive. Baseball, beach, and golf. I'm <laughs> in. Give me spring training. I'm in. Suddenly, it makes sense why you went into Cardinals yes, broadcasting. Yes, it was. It was perfect. It was perfect. You're like, so you're telling me... Uh-huh. I could do this hockey thing, and I end up in Canada in the winter. Uh-uh. Or I could go baseball, and I end up in Jupiter for yeah, six right. weeks in the summer. Okay, let's yeah. do that yeah, one. That's You're right. saying there's a month and a half of spring training time? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm in on this. We'll take and this, guys. How that's close right. am I to the coast? Exactly. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. We're good. Well, let's go with that route. And it's, exactly. just, it's just a spring training game a day, and then that's it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they're about two and a half hours, How much too. fun are those to broadcast? Is that your favorite time of the them. year? Yeah, because I, I probably playoffs. I would imagine, but well, I enjoy the uh, the minor leaguers too. I, I like seeing the young guys come up. I, I really do. I mean, that that part of it is fun to when see gotta, the young guys when come you up. Check your scorebook to find out. Well, who the hell is seventy? <laughs> that's right okay because it's dreams coming true. Yeah. I, I think that's the fun part of spring training, seeing some of that stuff happen. I that part of it is exciting to me. I, I like seeing veterans that are trying to hang on too. Yep. That part of it's cool. Are guys, more um, willing and open to talking. In oh, spring training yeah. as well. It's way more relaxed, way more relaxed. Um, and, and the guys, well, at least from, from what I find, is that they just seem to be, they understand that for, for guys that have established and they trust you because you've been around a long time, they're willing to talk. And it's just, the, you know, the intensity isn't there. They're just getting their work in, get out, go play golf, sure. go fish, whatever hang out on the beach with their families. So they're willing to talk and do their thing, you know, and, and it's perfect. And the young guys, I mean, they're grinding, man. They're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to get on a team, which is cool. You know, it's so part that it's two different dynamics of watching how guys go about spring training, which I like. I do. With Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's finish up our long gone summer critique with Kim Bottenfield. He was a Cardinals pitcher in 98 and 99. He is now the head baseball coach at Palm Beach Atlantic University. He's going to join us next on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Continue breaking down the long gone summer with Danny Mack. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers will be back in tomorrow. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line where we're happy to be joined by Kent Bottenfield. He was a Cardinals pitcher in 98 and 99. He is now the head baseball coach at Palm Beach Atlantic University. Kent, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. How's everybody up there? Doing all right. So let's start with this. Did you did you watch the documentary last night? And if so, what'd you think of the way that the '98 season was portrayed compared to what it looked like for you as you were on the team? Yeah, I definitely watched. It. I wasn't going to miss that one, and I, I really thought they did a good job of capturing, you know, the attitude of everybody, just the whole environment. I thought they did a great job of, of capturing the excitement, and um, and you know, thirty for thirties are usually really really good, and this one was just as well. Ken, Dan McLaughlin here. Great to hear your voice. Um, hey, man. 
Good to catch up again. I uh, I remember what a great year you had in 99, and McGuire had such a, uh, a famous home run derby at Fenway Park, and you were an all-star that year. And I remember Ted Williams asking Big Mac, can you smell burnt wood? What was it like uh, being part of that that all-star game with McGuire and, and just surrounding Ted Williams and just everything that happened at Fenway Park in 99? I mean, that was an amazing event. You know, I'm biased, but I, I think probably one of the greatest all-star events in, in certainly the century. But, you know, the world got to see what we got to see in St. Louis every day for batting practice. And, I mean, it was just, just something that he did. He was so so good at what he did that um, it was exciting. The electricity of the ballpark at Fenway was amazing. Um, but, it, yeah, seeing Ted Williams and being there. I was actually right there when that golf cart came around towards the pitcher's mound, but kind of got to, you know, the world didn't want to see Ken Bottenfield meet Ted Williams. (laughs) Mark McGuire, Sammy and all those guys. And so uh, I got a chance to hear him and it was, was pretty amazing. Can you talked about the batting practice, and we've heard, I mean, we've talked to so many guys about McGuire's power over the last week or so now, but I want to hear from you as well. You, you played in the 90s. You played through the early 2000s. You've been around the game your entire life. Where does McGuire's power rank for you compared to the guys that you both played with and against? Wow. Um, you know, every day, you never got tired of watching him take batting practice. Because you're always waiting to see whatever stadium you were at, how how far he was going to hit one, or what window he was going to hit it out of in Arizona. Or, <laughs> I mean, it was it was just amazing. I've never seen that combination of bat speed and strength uh, ever. You know, I guess the closest you could say would be Barry Bonds. You know, that when he came by a year later, whenever it was, he hit his 73. Uh, it was like that was pretty amazing in itself. But uh, that kind of power and sure bat. Uh, that speed was just incredible. Never seen that. Kent, I always found it interesting being around the club that some guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like they kind of walked on eggshells around McGuire because even they were a little like, wow, that's Big Mac. And, you know, they just kind of left him alone a little bit. Is is that a fair assessment? Do you, do you agree with that? You know, I think some of that did happen, but that wasn't dictated by Big Mac. I mean, he exactly, yeah. He was obviously very focused on what he was doing, but he didn't make it all about him. I mean, he tried to do as many things as he could to kind of take the attention away from him, or he always let us know how grateful he was for, you know, because it was kind of a nuisance. I mean, we were talking about that clubhouse in, at Bush Stadium there. Um, it wasn't the biggest clubhouse, and they're trying to fit all the media in there, and then they realized, boy, we better get another space where we do this. And, you know, so there there were some inconveniences. I don't think anybody really minded, but he always was looking for a way to say thank you, whether it was after he was, you know, hit 50 home runs three years in a row, he signed an autographed baseball for each one of his teammates or, you know, whatever. So he was great about it, and you could talk to him about anything. But I think us as players, we were in such awe and respect to what was happening, that we didn't want to be the one to screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking to former Cardinals pitcher Kit Bottenfield here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Now, Kent, you were involved in what has now become known here locally, at least, as the Jim Edmonds deal. And he came, comes over the following season in 2000, and the Cardinals kind of take off from there and became what we've all seen over the last 20 years could you tell at the time that the Cardinals were on the verge of doing something special in those early 2000s? 
that's a, that's a that's a tough one to answer. Obviously, um, a great trade. Um, I was personally affected and, and was bothered by it just because I felt like St. Louis was my home at that point and, and had success there and just loved the fans and loved the city. So that was tough for me. I didn't blame them for making it. I mean, who's not going to bring in Jim, Jim Edmonds? Um, and obviously things turned at that point. We were having, you know, the two years I was there, there were a fair amount of injuries on the pitching staff. And so it was hard to see what was going to happen uh, from pitching perspective. But as far as the pitch, uh, position players, obviously the talent was there and it all came together and they finally started getting healthy as far as the pitching staff and, and became a really good team. I'm curious, Kent, and and Brandon just mentioned that you pitched in the late '90s and the early 2000s, and it's, and it's now you know considered widely the steroid era. And you were an all-star, and you had great success. Um, does that add to uh, how proud you are of your career and the fact that you were able to pitch in that era, do it clean, and to have success? You know, I don't know if I've ever really sat back and thought about that. Certainly, at the time. There are always questions swirling around the game. Um, I try not to focus on that. I mean, bottom line was every pitcher that, that got out on the mound was facing the same set of circumstances. Definitely it was, if you want to call it live ball, you want to call it steroids, uh, a little more difficult time to pitch and to know that I had success there, that, you know, now that you bring it up that way, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool, but um, not something I've really thought a lot about. Kent, were, were guys also paying attention in the race to what Sammy was doing? So, for instance, if you weren't pitching, you're in the dugout uh, at Bush Stadium, as you well know. We, when we were doing the games, we were watching to see if Sosa, we were watching on TV, or we would be watching the scoreboard to see if Sosa had hit one. Were the other players on the on the team, were you guys watching intently during your games to see if Sosa had hit one that night? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were, really was no way that you couldn't. I mean, we were surrounded by it. Like you said, the Bush Stadium was up on the scoreboard. You know, they were changing the numbers every time somebody hit a home run. So it was impossible not to. Even when we were in visiting ballparks, there were visiting ballparks that would put stuff up. And so, yeah, I mean, we were keyed in. I think we were probably locked in on that more than even Big Mac was. I mean, he just was so amazing. I know they covered it last night, and Tony talked about it last night. His focus was something like I've never seen before in my life. What's going to be your lasting memory of that summer, Kent? You know, just knowing that I took part in one of the greatest spectacles of baseball ever. Um, there was, you know, I got quite emotional a few times last night watching, just remembering certain games and certain situations, uh, the Maris family, just, um, just just amazing things like that that I'll, I'll never forget and just be so thankful I was a part of. What made you emotional about the Maris family? What what came to mind when you saw that? Well, I just think about, you know, how long it had been since since he had set that record. And, you know, there were times that early on in the season people looked like they were on pace to break it. It never happened. It looked like it may never happen. And just I think probably what made me most emotional about the family, they were just – they're good people. Yeah. I mean, just – so nice, so accommodating, so uh, humble. Uh, just listening to them talk and the interviews they did, and the chance to meet them—they were just—they're special people. What was Mac like for being around as a teammate? What for for you? What was what was it like to be around him? I always tell people because you know I get that question quite a bit. He's really one of the best teammates I've ever had because you're talking about a a superstar, world you know world renowned individual, and he never made it about himself. He just didn't. He wasn't. He wasn't a cocky guy. He could joke around with everybody for sure, but 
he didn't carry himself like he was just some unbelievable individual. He just was a, a just really cool to have his teammate. Very supportive, very encouraging, and like I said, just never made it about himself. Are you still playing music? Uh, not as much. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> trying to focus on winning more ball games, just at a different level now. Are you enjoying that? You know, I, I remember visiting with you, and you talked about how coaching would be something you wanted to get into. You weren't sure at that time, and and now here you are. Is that something that you're enjoying? I tell you what, I am. It's amazing. It is probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. You know, stepping out on the mound and. And pitching and having some control over an outcome is, you know, it's not easy. But, you know, coming down here and having 30, 35 players coming from different life views and perspectives and, and uh, trying to bring them all together for one common goal is really difficult but very rewarding. Uh, catching them at key times in their lives, you know, they need more than just the game. And, and they need to get through school. They need to get through life and just to be a part of all that. Very challenging, but I enjoy it, and I'm learning more and more about it every year, and I'm, I'm going to be going into my 10th year now. You know, Kent, it, it's been so sad what's happened with uh, COVID-19 and sports, but specifically what may happen with college baseball. Has it had a trickle-down effect uh, to your program because the money will trickle down from college football and the major sports? Um, has it had an effect at all on your program and what you're doing? Definitely. Uh, you know, we're looking at probably having a roster of 43 this year with the ability to only play 40 games. So that is going to be a little tougher, but we have most of our seniors have elected to come back. And I certainly don't blame them for that. And I look forward to having them back. Um, so that's going to change the dynamic. Uh, the fact, you know, budgets. Uh, now, I'm thankful for Palm Beach Atlantic University, incredible university who's on a good financial footing because they've been responsible over the years you know sure we've had some budget cuts but you know it looks like i'm going to be able to to afford all of our 40 games that we're allowed to play which is great for the guys uh so it's this has had effect beyond anything i've ever known before but i think we're going to be fine former cardinals pitcher kent bottenfield joining us here on ribs and bk on 101 espn Last question that I've got for you, Kent. I don't know how much you're still watching Major League Baseball, but we certainly wish we could be watching it here in St. Louis this summer. What's your What's your read on this current negotiation, and uh, how much do you miss what, being able to watch baseball? Well, you know, and I have been paying attention to it. You know, however, on the outside looking in at this point, it's hard to know all the specifics that are going on. But I am highly disappointed. You know, and, and to me, it's always been whether it's a uh, contract negotiation between players and owners, whatever it is, it, there's always blame to go around on both sides. Nobody's nobody's pure in this, but this game needs to be played. I mean, especially now more than ever. You see NASCAR getting back. They had some fans, uh, you know, in the in the seats at Homestead, and you're seeing golf getting back, and hockey's going to, and NBA probably going to, and here baseball's dragging their feet. And I'm telling you, it's going to be difficult for fans to swallow this one, uh, you know, because they don't have. It's always about finances, but, you know, from the physical side of things, you're playing in open-air stadiums. You're not, you know, you're not contacting, making contact with other players. People don't understand that. Hey, get back out on the field is what they want. And I, I do miss the game. I want to see the games played. I love the players. I love the game. And uh, I really hope they get this thing put together soon. We do too, Ken. We're hoping that we're able to watch some Cardinals baseball this summer at some point. We certainly appreciate you hopping on with us today. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, we appreciate you sharing some stories from that 98-99 season with us. 
Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks, guys. You Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Ken Bottenfield, former Cardinals pitcher, joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's 117. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good dude. Really good dude. He had a, a just a fantastic year in 99 and a guy that did not throw hard, but in the steroid era, learned how to take things off spot the ball and as you mentioned it became the Jim Edmonds trade it was he and Adam Kennedy that went to the Angels and uh and Jimmy came over in 2000 and uh you know what that's an honest answer there at the end I mean people need baseball and there's a guy that a lot of times as we know players will stick together um you know they say well the generation before me they they fought for it so we got to fight for it and uh, you know I'm on the player's side well He's saying, hey, both sides got to come together. They got to give on this thing and they got to make it happen for the fans. And we heard Mark Teixeira say that earlier today, too. He he gave a very, I don't know if you were listening to this. He gave a very open and honest um, assessment of the game yesterday. He was on with Taylor Twelman and mm-hmm. uh, ESPN Radio on the national show just saying, hey, this this has got to come together. I mean, this enough's enough. And, um, and uh, you know. <laughs> we can sit there and go round and round with this stuff, which we have for the last two months, which has gotten to the point of being ridiculous, where it, people are pissed and, and they, they're done with the money and they just want to get these guys on the field, which is what needs to happen. Kent said it eloquently, and he's right. Um, and the other part of this that I think is important is that he's mentioning the other sports there, at least making the attempt to get back on the field, which is the important part of what he is talking about. And And, and, and as we've said before, you know, if they try, which is all you want to see happen, and it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But if you don't have this happen because of the economics, man, oh man, BK, you cannot let that happen. It's unforgivable. It's unforgivable. And one of the guys that will be blamed for that is Rob Manfred. He's speaking tonight on ESPN. I can't I wait to hear- watch this. I want to hear what Danny Mac wants to hear from Rob Manfred. And oh, we'll get to I'd that. love to have some questions for him. I got a bunch of them. We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So I want to bring the conversation we were just having off air on the air, Dan, because I feel like there's a disconnect somewhere. We've been talking about the Ezekiel Elliott positive COVID yeah. test. He apparently tested positive either earlier today or recently, and it has been reported today. And somebody on Twitter just said, you know what? I actually don't need sports to come back this quick. Bottom line, whether or not Elliott or other players contract the virus and feel they are in good health, we ultimately do not know the long-term impacts of the virus. Now, that's true. We don't know what the long-term impact of the virus is. But Ezekiel Elliott, from all the reporting, was never in the actual team facilities. He wasn't going to the facilities. He contracted this virus elsewhere. The same way you could, as Alex could, as I could, or any of our listeners could, mm-hmm. whether it be going to the grocery store or picking up something for medicine for our family at a local Walgreens or whatever it may be, right? We've still got to do things in our everyday lives. Isn't it possible that the facilities that these guys would be going to would actually be safer for them than what they're doing on it's a daily basis? place as you is? could go. I've been saying, look, first of all, you're going to be surrounded by the top medical people, essentially, 
as opposed to being at home with right. your families, okay? And then the other thing is you're getting tested what would be every other day. So now the question would be, in, in football's case, I guess you'd say technically you wouldn't be social distancing, okay? But in baseball's case, technically, kind of, social distancing, if you'd stuck to the letter of the law, which would be social distancing in the clubhouse, social distancing in the ballpark. As much as we do by you and me going to a restaurant right, right now, right? Like exactly. So you're, you're And you're getting tested every other day, potentially. Now, I think the initial idea of the protocol was you're going to be tested every day. So you are going to be on one of the safest places on the planet, which is a ballpark. So yes, you are going to be in a very safe environment, which is a ballpark or the field or the practice facility. Yes. Yes, I've been saying that since day one. I'm just surprised at how many people are like, you know what, we don't need this right now. And Maybe it is an isolated incident. And there's not very many people that believe this to be the case, but it feels to me like there's a bit of a disconnect there, well, when a, even with the players. What the, when, when a player says, I, I don't know if it's safe, well, okay, if you're going to stay inside your house and be locked up all day, which I doubt the majority of players, like 99.9% of them are doing, living in their basement. I, I mean, seriously, let's be honest. I doubt that they're doing that. 100%. They're probably going to the grocery store and going to Walgreens and doing those kind of things. Now, there's some that might be. They they may have, uh, uh, you know, a, a parent or something that's living with them and a babysitter. You know, maybe their parents are helping out, taking care of the kids. And one of them is, you know, uh, got a precondition that they're very careful about. I get that. But there's probably a lot of them that aren't. And so you're going to the ballpark being tested, and those around you are being tested. So you know that those around you are are not positive. So you are knowing that you're walking into an environment, for the most part, that you think is pretty safe. Safer than going to an environment that you don't know who's been tested and you don't know who has it. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on, man. So... This is certainly going to be something that the commissioners talk about tonight whenever they're on ESPN. There's apparently going to be a show. It's a two-hour special on ESPN tonight talking about the coronavirus and how these sports are going to return. It's going to be with the commissioners of the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, WNBA, MLS, and, oh, by the way, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball is going to be on there as well. Well, that was my number one question is the protocol. Because in my mind, I've been saying it again from day number one. You're walking into, if you're a player, and if one of the things that you're saying is that, well, I don't feel safe, that's fine. Then don't. If you don't feel safe, that's your personal prerogative. But the way they have this thing set up, as compared to the normal American, you're walking into an environment that is a safer work environment than any other American in their job. Let's just be honest yeah. about it. It is. They're spending millions of dollars for that to be the case. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I, I wasn't tested when I walked into the studio. <laughs> I wasn't either. <laughs> and I don't think Alex was either. I don't feel safe now because you guys weren't tested. And, and matter no. of fact, I haven't been tested yet. So Not me either. I, you know, I, I, let's just be honest about it. I mean, yep. you're going to walk into a place that you're going to be tested and tested and tested and tested. So, you know, could it happen? Could it seep into your bubble? Of course it could. But that's the risk that you run right now with the virus. Okay? All of this is about risk. It's Absolutely. all about risk thresholds for me. This weekend, for the first time, I went to a restaurant. On Saturday night, I went to my favorite brewery in town called Heavy Riff, and we had a couple of drinks out there. And it was the first time that I've actually been to a local establishment and ate and drank there since all of this happened. Well, I can tell you it's that risk. with me and my family, we, we, we don't take many chances. We try to be very socially responsible. I come in here because I feel like I need to work. 
I, I need to work. So this is the right. risk management that I that I take. But if I'm a ball player, I'm an NBA player, I'm a golfer, I, 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 I'm getting tested when I... You know, Jay Delsing was on my show last week, right? I don't know if you were listening to the interview, yeah. but he said, you are not allowed to walk on the premise, the premises of the, the golf course, the, the property. Nobody, if you're a cameraman or woman or a technician or a golfer or a caddy, unless you've been tested. And if, you're, if you test positive, you are immediately escorted off the premises. Okay, so if you're a baseball player or an NBA player or a hockey player, you're going to get tested. I mean, there there is going to be some risk, but I guarantee your your risks are a little bit less. Because you're being tested so much. The average American is not getting that walking into your grocery store. Those grocers that are checking you out, they're not getting that. Mm-hmm. The person at Walgreens ain't getting that. We're not getting that. So, I mean, again, if it, that's the risk that you run. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But come on. Yeah, I'm just surprised at how much this gets brought up because it does. It, it's it's a hurdle that they have to clear, and I get that completely. Like you said, there's going to be some people that just say, it's not worth it to me. I, for, for their own personal decisions, it's not worth it for me to go do that. And that's fine. I just, I, I think sometimes, maybe this is unfair of me, but I think sometimes we even overstate it a little bit as to how much of a risk it is to do that compared to what you and I are doing in our daily lives every day right, right. now. Uh, my understanding is, too, like with the NBA, and maybe you guys can correct me, too, with the NHL and the NBA. I, I'm not positive on uh, Major League Baseball, but the testing has gotten to the point where it's not the intrusive uh, nasal swab, where it's going halfway up your head. Mm-hmm. Is that th- what you guys are hearing, too? I, I've heard that as well, that it's not the the nasal swab that everybody is seeing. Like, there's there, there are other options out there for tests in terms of t- uh, sampling their blood, uh, saliva swabs. I've heard that as well. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't talked to a doctor like like you, Dan, but there are other options, at least is what I'm hearing for the NHL and NBA. You're going to also get a, a fever test every day when you yeah. enter the premises. That will happen every day. So you're asking what are the questions that I would have. And that would be the number yeah. one question I would have with all the commissioners. What's your protocol? Like, what what are you doing to test these these athletes and the support staff? And then who is inside your support staff? So medical people, assistant coaches, managers. Uh, your head coaches, that kind of thing. Um, I, I would so for Rob Manfred specifically. Why is it taking this long? Just why? I mean, we, here we are in the middle of June. Why? Why wasn't this? So you, you came to your agreement on March twenty sixth, and now here we are in the middle of June, and you don't have an agreement. Why? Why is why why? I mean, why is it taking till the middle of June? Um, would you be willing to defer salaries? That would be another yep. question. So you've gotten to 48 games. You want to play as many games as you can. We think that by doing the numbers, we can get you to 72. The players have said they'd be willing to play double headers. That by the numbers that we've come up with, we're roughly around 70. Would you, as in uh, representing the owners, so to speak, would you be willing to defer salaries over, let's say, a year or two-year period? Why did you decide to do home cities instead of spring training facilities as a hub? Uh, when you have a, a positive test, what are you going to do with those players? And then um, what are you doing for next year? Are you concerned about a work stoppage beyond next year? That's uh, a going, big one. Going into 2022. So are you worrying, you know, what do you think is going to happen with that? Um, that's and, and for all those, maybe my first question would be to all of them, you're all spending millions of dollars on testing and do you feel it is fair? And you all said that you do not want to take testing away from the general public. 
Are you sure? And can you give us the uh, assurement? To, you know, have you assured that, that you are not taking the, the testing away from the general public? Is is can you make sure that everybody knows it's watching tonight that that testing is not being taken away from John Q. Public? Right. I, think I, that's I a big know. One. It's big I think for that's the a players really big too. One. And it's a big one for the public perception of these sports coming back. Yeah, because if it is question. taking away, absolutely. If it is taking away from the local communities that they're playing in, then like you let's can't say Orlando, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. It wouldn't be possible. My one question that I would ask Rob Manfred, if I had an opportunity to ask him one question, do you view yourself as the shepherd of the game of baseball? Like, do you view? How do you view your job? What is your job? Because if he simply views himself as an extension of the owners, the public face for all of the 30 owners, that's not how I view what a commissioner should be. I view a commissioner as what Adam Silver has become in the NBA. You should do everything for the best of the game at all times. And you do represent the owners, but sometimes you're going to have to tell the owners something that they don't like. You're going to have to tell them, hey, listen, like right now, we have to do this because if we don't do it now... We're going to be screwed two years from now as a result of it. I would also say this. Um, it looks like from the outside looking in, and I'm going to use Adam Silver as a great example, that he has engaged with Chris Paul and he's engaged with LeBron James. You, Rob Manfred, who have you engaged with on the player's side? Great point. Who have you talked to? Yeah. Have you gone to Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina? Um, have you gone to a young player like a Tommy Edmond? I'm just using Cardinals as an example here, but you get my drift here. Have you have you asked for player engagement, and if so, who and what is their response to you? You know what 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 are they saying to you, and and what do you want? And and as a follow up, is is legacy important to you? So when you look at Bud Selig, like to me, part of his legacy is um, expanded playoffs, like mm-hmm. the the wild card, right? Part of his legacy is he's going to be part of the steroid era, right? I mean, that's part of it. But, um, you know, what your your legacy right now is trying to get, like, pace of play. <laughs> you know? And the DH and the NL. Yeah, you're right. Rob Manfred doesn't have a legacy right now. Not, not a all. good one. It's not a, a good one. one. And, and so, you know, what are you doing to engage the players of today to make sure that this is a cohesive working relationship with your guys to make sure that this is a true partnership. And I'm not sure we're seeing that. I want to ask Dan a little bit further about this. What is the relationship between players and owners going to be next year? Yeah. We've got one more year of this current CBA, and then we're going to get back into this conversation again. What does this mean for next year and beyond? I'll ask Dan about that coming up next. It's Ribs, Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Finishing things up here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. Danny Mack, Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie here on Ribs and BK. So I left the last segment saying I wanted to ask you about how what we're watching right now, how this is going to play into oh, the future boy. discussions for Major League Baseball because we all know this has been ugly. This has been everything you could dream would be a problem for baseball and then some so far. But we still have next season as well that we've got on the horizon. And after next season, there's a new CBA that has to be discussed. How much of an issue do you think this is going to be for that? I think it's huge. I'm curious what you guys think, but the nerves are raw. I mean, clearly the nerves are raw. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, to me, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Because in 16, when the players agreed to this deal, it was a bad deal for them. 
that's what we're seeing, and they don't want to go down that road again. I think they got taken to the woodshed, and they realized that it was a bad deal, and they're seeing what happened with it. They saw teams tanking. They saw that uh, the players, like, like George Springer was a great example. George Springer, uh, with how the Astros went about their business, uh, did not get called up when he should have. Chris Bryant did not get called up when he should have. They used the, the 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 owners used the system properly, if you want to call it that way. Yep. Kept a service time manipulation down, and all of a sudden these guys all of a sudden don't hit free agency when they could have, and it cost them. And 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 so if you were a player back then, now George Springer wants to hit free agency, and hit COVID hits, and he's. For lack of a better term, he's screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, and Chris Bryant, same thing. And so, when you go into this next year, there, I'm sure they were going to want to drop a year of that stuff. Um, it, it, it's it's going to get ugly, and it's going to be a lot of that stuff coming back up. I think it's going to be raw emotions going back into this, and the owners are going to say, "Look, you know, you guys agreed to it. What do you, what, I mean? What do you? This is what we agreed to, and and, and if you wanted to have it." settled properly i think you say look we come to the table and if you wanted to get this thing done right let's do it at the table let's not do it now i've I've been saying this for the last month this is to me what's going on now is a four-month outlier it's not a four-year extension that's one of the problems that we have in this and unfortunately i don't think people are looking at it that way baseball is broken right now it's it is broken and it has been for a while. We're seeing for the first time in I think two decades a decline in payroll as a pro as opposed to an increase in payroll, despite the fact that the money's going up. I would love to see a floor. I think a salary cap's not necessarily a bad thing for the league. Or a revenue share. Something like that, right? It'd be interesting if they get a grievance out of this, which very well could be coming on either side and certainly from the player's side. And if that happens, an arbitrator comes in and then the books open up from the owner's side, which I'm sure the owners <laughs> clearly don't want to have happen. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're seeing where all the money is. And, and and that's where you're asking about the future of this. The players would love to see that going into the next deal because then you have a full understanding of where you know, where some of the money is and, and have a full understanding of what that collective pie could be. Do you think that's the only way that you get trust between both sides? Is uh, if an arbitrator comes in? It would help from the player's side. I, I think that's one of the benefits of what's going on from the player's perspective of this, if there is a benefit to this. The olive branch that could be extended in this is that if the owners, let's say tonight, would come out and say, look, we will go to 72 games and in, in full salaries, on the pro rata basis, so you go to seventy-two games, but will you know deferred over two years? I, I think the players would somewhat appreciate that because then they I'm understand that hasn't happened yet. I don't understand. I, we said this a I, month I get ago. It. I mean, but you know, you, you would—it's a hit for the owners. There's no doubt about sure. it. I mean, there's nobody coming to the ballpark and they're paying out salaries. Um, but I, I do think there would be somewhat of an appreciation where a player would say, okay, I get it. Nobody's coming to the ballpark and they're paying this out. And we're getting nearly half a season's pay on a pro rata basis. Sure. But we're still getting some money. And, you know, we, we, we understand that's an olive branch. Maybe that helps. Maybe. You brought up Tommy Edmond in the last segment. Let's look at this through Tommy Edmond's lens, right? 
Tommy Edmond was drafted in 2016. He spent basically four years in the minors for the Cardinals. He got called up. He was 24 years old. The first year of his real major league contract starts this year. He's 25. He's going to get paid $580,000 this year. Same thing most likely for the next two seasons because he's under club control. Now, that's a nice salary. It's a good salary. But for baseball players, that's an awful salary Mm -hmm. relative to what you could potentially make elsewhere. He's then going to get three years of arbitration in his age 28, 29, and 30 seasons. He finally becomes a free agent at 31 years old when these clubs don't want to be paying you. Tommy Edmond is exactly what is broken with the current system. Well, that's what the players want to fix. Clearly, they want to hit free agency earlier. I mean, that's... that's, As they should. That's what they want to eliminate the arbitration time. You know, I mean, that's something I think that the players will fight hard for in this next round of negotiations. They have to. I mean, that's six years, man. And to your point, not to say that 31 or 32 is an old player, but you're not seeing those guys getting the long-term the deals. view that as being bad now. And in and, and the non-steroid years, I mean, in steroid years, a guy that hit 31-32, you're okay giving a guy a five-year deal because there were different bodies. I mean, they were okay. They were in the primes of their careers. You're not seeing that as much anymore. Um, and in 2016, when they did that deal, it was not a good deal for the players. And it's been played out that way. And now we're seeing what the result is of that. Yeah. And the players are furious as mm-hmm. well they should be, but it's going to affect this season and likely yeah. next season and beyond as well. I, I, I'm, I'm going to find it fascinating when, let's just say, there's a vaccine and we come back and it's a normal season next year. What happens at the end of next season? What, what yeah. do the players do? We know that postseason baseball is a key for the owners. What do the players do? And it, does, it, does it turn into 1994 again? God, I hope not. Yeah, me too. I certainly hope not. Yep. With Cardinals broadcaster Dan McLaughlin and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Jamie Rivers back in with us tomorrow. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. We've got Anthony Stolter in studio. What's up, boys? Stoltz, what's going on, man? How much? Just trying to figure out how to uh, untangle my microphone. That is or not, not my microphone. Excuse my headphones. I was looking at the microphone when I said that. Oh, yeah, my always, always good to do that. Yeah. Always good to do that. You guys so, are sounding good today. I've enjoyed the, the program. I had a it's blast. very kind of you. Very kind of you. Do you like doing the three hours? I or love four it. Hours, I guess. And I have another hour coming up at six. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. We have the Redbird report coming up tonight. I gotta to think about what I want to do for that though. I was about to say, who do you have on tonight? Uh, I got to think about it. <laughs> I, just want to get, I just want to get through these He's hours got four first. Hours to think about <laughs> well, so much, so much content. For that's yourself. right. That's right. There's well, there's a lot of baseball being well. There's not being baseball. Wait, there's a lot of no. There's not. Well, we'll figure it out. There is and there isn't. By the way, I saw you guys are going to be on location on uh, Wednesday. Huh? It's kind of getting back yeah. to normal. Yeah, I guess, man. It's going to be interesting. We're going to be down at Ballpark Village. Very cool. They got a, a brand new opening. Uh, yeah, sports and social in Ballpark Village. You're going to be at, uh, let's see, Fast Lane live this Wednesday, 2 to 6, grand opening of Sports and Social, which is St. Louis's newest sports bar and gaming parlor located at Ballpark Village. Sounds fantastic, actually. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't really know what to expect because of the pandemic and all that, but... 
Hey, we'll be there. Just happy we'll you're not fun. contained in the studio for four hours with those two, there right? There you go. Exactly. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, I'm just... Oh. And it's those three. Yeah. I don't like There's to throw meat barns. into that category. Well, it's a good, good point. Meat's yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you guys, I'm sure, are going to talk about this quite a bit coming up on the show, but in terms of just your top-line takeaways from what we watched last night with the Long Gone Summer, did it... It was it what you expected? Was it less than what you expected? What would you think of the doc? I think there's a couple of things going working against it. One, the MJ doc. You, you watch sure. the MJ doc, and and I, I'm sure it was like this for you guys. But if I missed a second, I went back and, Absolutely. and, and watched it. Watched it again. If I if there was something that I thought I heard correctly on the MJ doc, but I, I wanted to like, what did that? Wait, did he really say that? I I went back with last night. I thought it was fine. I thought I thought it was I thought it was ah yeah okay. You kind of seen it though. A little bit. Been there, exactly. down there, you're right. Yeah, I don't. And, and when it when it came to the MJ doc, I felt like there was there was something I wanted to learn more than what I I didn't know. And I watched the Mike the Michael Jordan Bulls in the in the nineties. I I lived through that dynasty, but I was grade school and high school in the nineties. So there was a lot of the elements like the Scotty Pippen contract. I didn't know about that, really. Right. There was a lot of elements there, the, the back and forth with the players and Jerry Krause, that I wanted to know more about. I didn't feel like we'd necessarily learned anything last night, nor do I think we're going to learn anything moving forward. But that's okay, too. I don't think it's bad. What did you want to learn going into last night? That's a great question. I don't know. I guess more of the backstories, more of the... And I'm and I, I wasn't expecting this. I don't want anybody. Well, what did you expect them to admit that they're all on? You know, Sammy Sosa, come on, admit that he's on. <laughs> no, but maybe some of the the backstories of wh- when when they got started on PEDs. Why was it that moment? Like for Bonds, even though he he's said that he he never knowingly took PEDs. <laughs> there's a sense of he saw what. McGuire did and Sosa did and said, hold my beer mm-hmm. and hold my flax seeds and then and then watch this. Right? right. There was there was the sense of players taking PEDs to speed up recovery to do what McGuire did. There's a bunch of different reasons. Right. But for McGuire and Sosa, why specifically did they start taking them and how much did that play into the 98 chase. I think yeah. the other thing that, that the Jordan documentary kind of ruined for that Long Gone Summer was Long Gone Summer didn't have all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, you knew... It really bothered me where they would have the subtitle that said, like, June 4th, right. 1998, and then it would be showing, the like, s- Ferguson right now with a Black Lives Matter thing. And I was like, wait, that that yeah. is very clearly modern day. Because and they covered the, the, the Jordan doc that whole season. So you had all the behind-the-scenes. You didn't get anything behind-the-scenes with those two. You didn't. I... I was a little surprised with that because you could have dug on yeah. the local TV stations that I'm sure had some more of the behind-the-scenes footage than maybe they, they right. showed last night. i got to be honest. I was a little disappointed with what we saw last really? night. Really? I was, So yeah. the expectations it, were a little higher. I think so, yeah. and I think a lot of it, I didn't have as high expectations until we started the interviews last week. And we got so many great answers from so many of the former Cardinals that were involved with that 98 season. And you didn't really see any of those guys on no. the dock last night. It was basically just Ray Lankford. Am I missing other guys? Brian Jordan had like one answer. Even Ray Lankford was pretty so- short too, though. I, I, I got to wonder. at how little of that there was in that documentary. I got to wonder, though, if some of the players didn't want to touch it. I yeah, agree. We sure. got them on. 
You know, if, I, I if agree. they were willing to come on with us, I don't There's know why they wouldn't do yeah. the doc. I, I just I wonder if some of the main people just said, you know, I, I'm good. I, I don't really want to rehash this stuff because I think that there is, and and to your point, you're right. But I think there were some people that said, you're going to go down that steroid road, and I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I, I'm done with it. I, I just don't want to talk sure. about it. I and again, you you guys got them on, so they obviously knew. You know, some of those questions were coming. If a local radio station is calling about it, but they may have thought. Well, this is a local radio station, and I don't know how you guys set up your interviews where you said, we just want to talk about McGuire. This is not going to be a steroid hit hit piece. You know what I mean? Where yeah. some guys may have said, sure. you're going to go down that road. I don't want to talk about it. Where some some players, former players, are going to do that. They're just going to say, I don't want to talk about it. Sure. And that, that could have been the case. I don't know. I thought it was fine. I thought it was kind of a piece in time, and we got to relive the 98 home run chase, mostly from the Cardinals' perspective. Didn't see a whole lot of Sosa in there. I, I wish we probably would have gotten a little bit more of that as well. But I, I didn't think that I learned as much from the two-hour documentary that I watched last night as I did the interviews that we had last week. Each and every one of them, I yeah. felt like, gave us a little bit of something new, and I didn't really feel like I would think, time. though, if I'm waking up in Chicago this morning, why has Sammy, and I said this on my show, I said it with you, if, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm saying, why has Sammy Sosa not been back to Wrigley Field? McGuire's in their Hall of Fame. He's been their coach. He was part of the 11 team. I mean, come on. It's over. Like, yeah. just move. we, we got to move on. Let's go. And Raji said last week that Ricketts, the owner of the Cubs, apparently wants a, an apology from yeah, Sammy Sosa. I've heard that, too. If, if that is true, I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? I mean, how much did the Cubs... I know Ricketts wasn't there in 98, but how much did the Cubs benefit... No question. ...from Sammy Sosa doing what he did? And Especially because he was like... Baseball, absolutely. But from Sammy Sosa specifically with Chicago, he was affable. He 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 loved running out to right field and pointing up to the bleachers and doing all that. You got a lot out of Sammy Sosa in '98. Yeah, and and he was part of a, a playoff team. The Cardinals yeah. didn't make the playoffs. Right, it was actually not a very good team. Right. So yeah, and, I agree. And, oh, he's got a, he owes us an apology for what? Dan, this was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure honor to be able to do mine three hours with Danny Mac. That's pretty damn awesome for me. It was as, fun, man. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Host. This was a blast. You never so. know. Ribs could be uh, Wally Pipch. You never know. You never know. You certainly <laughs> don't. He could be gone next week for all I know. That's right. Jamie Rivers will be back tomorrow. You made it fun. Seriously, great for job. McLaughlin and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Fast Lane coming up next. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.